Is this thing on? Are you ready, Matt? You're listening to Box Office Avengers with Matt Diaz and Ernesto Santos. Good evening, folks. We have a wonderful evening's entertainment lined up for you. We know each other. He's a friend from work. Hello and welcome to another episode of Box Office Bingers. Ernesto, we're having some interesting luck with the Woman King, aren't we? Because yeah. Well, we we definitely tried, but we, we tried. I think yeah. we should be get a pass on this, seeing as Abs- how you know this past week Florida was hit with like a historic hurricane that it hasn't seen in like recorded history. Absolutely, uh, I do. We do want to talk about the hurricane a little bit because that was a huge thing that happened in our area, um, and we all have our own experience on it. And and hopefully everyone is okay. All of our listeners are okay from the storm who is from Orlando or in Florida in general because it hit all over Florida. Oh yeah, um, Poor Fort Myers. It's it's devastating, and even in our own backyards, it's crazy how much this i don't think orlando was ready for this storm or i mean you can kind of anticipate it on the coasts because you know that's where it's going to start but when you get this far inland and it has this much damage i wasn't i wasn't prepared for how much damage orlando got from the storm yeah which i mean this thing not only was it like big in size but it was just moving so slow that it was just pouring like buckets of rain like yes and and it stayed in one place so that that was the that was the rough part that it took 12 hours just to go across orlando if i'm not, yeah. if i'm not mistaken Something so like that. all that rain was just pounding down and it caused an enormous amount of flooding that really impacted like me locally in my area i i was fortunate enough we were fine no water damage in the apartment um, we, and we still had power and very lucky for all that, that, that happened during the storm. Um, but I'm hearing helicopters over my house and I'm like, what's going on? I turn on the news and I see just across the street, roads are flooded, um, nursing homes and, and college apartments are evacuating because they're the first floor is flooded and people are getting, you know, there's boats surrounding the areas, cars submerged plazas halfway in water. And I'm like, that's across the street. How is that? possible that i'm over here doing fine and that's happening across the- i was i was it was like too close to home you know what literally. i mean it, it literally <laughs> like literally it's like it's crazy how literally across the street you know things are just like homes are being destroyed because of this and roads are being flooded and submerged and it's just shocking like that to me that's when it became real i was like yeah. wow that is uh, it's it's just it's it's incredible like the circumstances that that you're in and i i was shocked and so again very fortunate ernesto how did you fare i know you were at the news station that's a whole different vibe i've been there during hurricanes i know how it is i haven't i wasn't here this year obviously but how was your experience this was this was my first like i think last time i was there i think last year we had one but it was it wasn't the coverage wasn't obviously to the extent was it now because because of central florida getting such a direct hit and i was full and i was full time this time around so Mm -hmm. it was like 
you guys are working all week like yeah it's wall-to-wall coverage like it just it was a it was a completely new experience for me because you know i'm at work thinking about what's you know everything that i have to prepare for here in the days leading up to the storm and the day the door the storm hit like they they were like well when you leave the conditions are not are kind of going to be okay when you are leaving to maybe safely drive home but especially when you come back in like it's not going to be okay for you to be out there so like this would be the time for you to stay you know so i had to stay so i stayed overnight one night and let me tell you man that was that was hard like just to like to go through the thick of the storm and to like think of your family and in other areas and you know just and this is nothing compared to like what first responders must must have been going through with the police like people who with way way more critical jobs than i than i do but uh it's like it's a it's just a round the clock effort for everybody it's everybody's on rotating schedules it's like in and out and then you're seeing images of just all the rescues and just all the crazy shit i literally saw a house flooded and also on fire like just showing helicopter footage from i think it was um it's either fort myers or sanibel island and it's just yeah. like i you know thankfully i didn't get any damn i got very mild damage i got some water damage in like two of my rooms it's like that's nothing compared to what other people have lost and what other people have gone through it's like these are these are just first world problems like i can like this this is just something that just needs that that i eventually just need to take care of and as opposed right. to people who have like been evacuated lost their livelihood lost their businesses lost their homes like like i'm just very fortunate and it's just it's it's crazy it's crazy you know it just makes you really take a step back and really appreciate what you have absolutely and you know i i've been there during the hurricane coverage i was at the station for matthew and um, irma and those were hurricanes you had to spend overnight and let me tell you, it's not the best experience having to not sleep in your bed that night, knowing that, you know, your family and all your loved ones are at home trying to bunker down and you're at a different location. And the, the only thing you can do is just call like, yeah. hey, just let me know everything's all right. And, you know, you have a job to do. And so uh, this this year, this was the first year that I actually was home for this major for like a major hurricane like this. And like I said, fortunately, we were um, at home, but it was a very different experience for me, especially living in Orlando, because, you know, other other hurricanes I was at down south. Uh, but every time there was a hurricane in Orlando that was coming our way, I was at the news station every single time. Um, and so this was a different experience for me. And, and, and it is surreal. I mean, at this point, like you're just worrying, all right, well, hopefully there's no water. And there's not, at that point, there's nothing you can do if, even if this water is coming into your apartment. Like yeah. you, you can only do so much to prep for it. And then at this point, you're just watching the window and be like, all right, no, it's still good. All right, no, no. We're, we're, it looks like we're okay. <laughs> yeah. And, and the same goes like, all right, we, what are you trying to do to make yourself calm? He's like, I'm just going to watch TV until the power goes out. And then <laughs> you know, we have backup plans just to keep you at ease. Um, it's a way different experience, whereas from what I remember at the news station, it's just go, go, go. Yeah. Like your your mindset, it's like, you know, you have a whole bunch of different things are happening all at once. Obviously, the reporters are out in the field and they're just tossing and then the anchors are always have they need to have something to say because you're on the round the clock coverage. The meteorologists are there to give you the latest up to date information every three hours. If I remember correctly, there's a new update and they have to give you everything when the storm is here. They are 
telling you where the worst parts are, if you should evacuate. Uh, actually, well, they should have told you if you evacuated before that, but like where are the worst spots if you're, you know, in a danger zone and just to keep you updated in. Um, yeah, it's just two different experiences, but luckily it seems like that, you know, obviously the storm has withered, it has moved on, um, and Orlando slowly building back up, you know, over, since I work at Universal, they received a lot of damage over there as well. A lot of flooding. I feel like that's the major thing here in Orlando was the flooding that, that it received and roads are just like, are now becoming drivable again because the water has receded. Um, you have streetlights in the area that are still not on. And so everyone's treating it like a four way stop on major intersections. So like, that's another thing you have to give about. Um, we had Megan's mom here for, for three days, uh, three, three, Wednesday, Thursday, about three, about four days, four days. Um, she lost power. And so she was with us until she got power and my sister lost power and she got that back. It looks like a lot of people that I was in touch with when they lost power, it should be back by now. Um, <laughs> That's one thing I'll say is that the response in Florida, like how quickly they've mobilized to like mm-hmm. get shit done, help people has been like phenomenal. Like so yeah. like like we're already less less, you know, it's been less than a week. And yeah. there's a lot of places that already have power. Now, granted, there's yeah. still major things that they have to fix, but Absolutely. it's you can tell that they're running like a, a once again, running a 24 hour like nonstop trying to get everything back at back up and running again yeah yeah and you know uh, you know thank you to all the first responders and everyone who's had something to do with the storm to keep us all safe and keep us getting back to normal and uh and hopefully all of our listeners here if you do live in florida that you are safe and you didn't receive too much damage or too much out of your way and you know we can go back to doing what we normally do day to day after yeah. this hurricane um but it's it's just it's incredible because i don't i i feel like that the storm we knew it was going to hit Fort Myers pretty hard. I feel like that was known. We knew I Southwest Florida. We just didn't expect it to hit Orlando so directly. <laughs> exact, yes. And, and also just have that amount of flooding that, you know, you're looking online and you're looking at the news and you're like, that's across the street. I go there for breakfast sometimes and it's submerged. And it's just surreal to see that. They're, they're talking historic flooding in the sense they haven't seen this much collected rainfall in 200, maybe 500 years. Like wow. in re- in recorded history, yeah, that's, yeah, that's crazy to think about. It is, it is, and and you know now we're here witnessing that. Now we're part of history, kind of you know observing all that. Um, but yeah, Bernard, I'm glad to hear that you're okay. I know we were yeah. keeping up to you know we're keeping up to date during uh, during the storm, um, but I'm glad to hear that you're okay and not too much damage happened. And now I'm um, hopefully that it, we're at ease now coming yeah. to the, you know, going to work now. It's not going to be as hectic. And I think after this, if, if, you know, all the mother nature, I think we're good on the storms for the rest of the year. Can we, can we do that? Can we, we got, we got ours for the season. We got, we're good. We, got a, we got one. Okay. Just give us a break. You know, I know we have until what the end of November before hurricane season's over. Yeah. So but this we still is got like two peak, months. This, you know, this was peak hurricane season. Like, it is. Yeah. This is, is usually the t- around the time when we get one. So, uh, we, well, we got one. So let's thank you. We, we did it. We're good now. <laughs> thank you. Uh, but like we mentioned earlier, because of that, uh, we were unable to go to the theater to watch The Woman King, which we had previously discussed last week that we were going to review. And even we, even two weeks before we said we were going to review. Uh, so instead of The Woman King, we decided, Ernesto, tell the listeners what we were reviewing this week. We are going to be reviewing Netflix's new movie, Blonde, the movie about Marilyn, about the book, 
about a fictionalized version of Marilyn Monroe. Yes. Uh, the film is based on the 2000 novel Blonde by Joyce Carol Oates, which is a fictionalized account inspired by the life of Mar- Marilyn Monroe, not an actual biography. Oates insisted that the novel is a work of fiction and should not be regarded as a biography. Oates said that she didn't have anything to do with the making of this film, but once in a while, director Andrew Dominic would get in contact with her and she was given an almost final cut. The novel has been previously adapted into a two-part miniseries, Blonde, came out in 2001, starring Poppy Montgomery as Monroe. Uh, um, in, this film was written and directed by Andrew Dominic, starring Anna de Armas, Bobby Cannavale, and Adrian Brody. Yeah, and, and I'm just going to put a warning up for you know when we do have our spoiler review. This is, this is a very controversial film. And this is an also film that's being heavily looked at for award season, specifically for Anna de Armas' performance. Um, but when we get into it, we might be talking about some things that are very sensitive. And I, I think this this movie definitely went there in a lot of different ways. Well, if you're listening to this, chances are you've already seen the movie, so you already yes. know you already know what you already know what you're going to get yourself into. So right, just, that's very true. Just, but, a trigger it, it, warning for anybody. If, absolutely, if, you know, yeah. It's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get a little uncomfortable here. <laughs> it might, it, it, and, it, and it definitely might. And this is Netflix's first NC, NC-17 rating, uh, as well as for any streaming service to have an NC-17 rating. Um, but there are some there are some things that happen in this movie that you know will make a lot of people uh, feel uncomfortable, feel outraged that they're even doing this. And it's definitely a controversial film, but... One thing's for sure, and the main reason, even before the movie was released, everyone was talking about Ana de Armas' performance as Marilyn Monroe. Um, so we're going to be diving into all of that later on into the show. Uh, but first, like we normally do, I know we skipped it last week. We had Jacqueline on when we reviewed Don't Worry Darling, uh, which was a great episode, by the way. If you have not listened to that, go. Uh, we'll finish this one first, and then you can go back and watch, uh, watch listen to uh, Jacqueline's episode on Don't Worry Darling. We had a great spoiler review on that. Uh, but because we skipped the news last week, we have a lot of news to discuss this week. And uh, the first couple, Marvel has been in the news a lot this week for various different things. Oh, yeah. But we'll start with the good first, right? Uh, Ryan Reynolds took to social media to hilariously announce via video that Hugh Jackman will reprise his role as Wolverine in the upcoming Marvel Studios Deadpool 3 film. The release date for the movie was also announced and will hit theaters September 6, 2024. So we got to wait two years for that. Um, it was previously announced that Sean Levy, the director of Free Guy and The Atom Project, will direct the film with Wright Reese and Paul Wernick, uh, the writers of Deadpool 1 and 2 and Zombieland, writing the screenplay. Hugh Jackman last played Wolverine in 2007's Logan, which at the time Jackman publicly stated Logan would be the last time, the last film, that will be the last film he played Wolverine after doing so for 17 years. Uh, Deadpool 3 will be the first Deadpool movie set within the Marvel Cinematic Universe starring Ryan Reynolds. Ernesto, your thoughts on the return of Hugh Jackman? Uh, this is obviously exciting, but I mean, then why do you say he wasn't going to do it anymore? You know, it's like, I guess I guess they found a number for him to say yes. That's what it sounds like. A big number has to be. Well, well and it also seems like, at least through social media, that the two of them, that Ryan Reynolds and Hugh Jackman, are more or less friends. You know, they're oh, always absolutely. posting stuff together, back and forth. Um, 
I mean, obviously, I'm here for it. Like, you know, that does, yeah, that's, and, of course, is amazing. It's what every, it's what everybody wants. Yeah. However, I hope that that's not going to be the only thing that's good about this movie. Hmm. That's a that's an interesting observation. Um. He, here's here's my here's my. I'm like down the line with it, right? I'm 50-50 with his with his return. One, Logan was a great send off for the character, not not only for the character of Wolverine, but specifically Hugh Jackman playing the role of Wolverine, and they gave us a nice send off. And he said that was the last one, and it wrapped up 17 years of him playing the character, which is a long time. Yeah. So for the fact that he's coming back, um. It, it, it diminishes that movie just a little bit. Not not much, but just a little bit, because you know that he's coming back in return. That being said, though, I remember in the past when when Hugh Jackman was doing the X-Men movies and the Wolverine standalones, he said that he would have loved to be part of the MCU. And, like, you know, he was like, it's unfortunate that they can't work things out because I think, you know, he was he was he was loving what Marvel was doing and he was over here doing his own thing. Um, and and. And I know that Ryan Reynolds and Hugh Jackman has a great relationship. And for years, they've been making fun of the fact that we need Wolverine, a Deadpool movie. Uh, they want to do like they was heavily joked that they want to do a buddy cop thing in the future. Um, and and even though Jackman did say that he was going to be done after this movie, he did say that he would, you know, uh, love to be part of the MCU. You know, never say never. But at the same time, he would want to uh, he wanted to see somebody else play the character. Yeah. Obviously, that didn't happen, because uh, well, I mean, obviously that has changed now that he's coming back for it. So I feel like because what I've seen behind the scenes, just excited about being the character and maybe potentially doing something with Ryan Reynolds and wanting to be part of the MCU, all of that makes it okay for me that he's coming back because I know that there is passion involved when when doing so, and maybe not just a dollar sign. Yeah, you make a good point. I but mean, at the same time, I'm sure money helped. <laughs> I'm sure, you know? yeah, I'm sure that number helped. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, Hugh Jackman, I mean, I love everything he does. There's not yeah. a movie I've seen that he does bad in. So it's probably so, going to be good. I just yeah. hope that it's not the only draw to this movie. Like, to make this big of a press release. Mm-hmm. I mean, this it is early, a big, too. It, this so early. And, like, this could have been revealed as a tr- something in the trailer. Absolutely. Like, maybe, yeah. even not, maybe not even the first trailer, maybe the second trailer. Like, mm-hmm. How how much better would this have been if they had kept it a secret the and whole then you time, were yeah. sitting down to watch the movie, and all of a sudden you realize that Hugh Jackman is a part of this movie, almost like what they did for Spider Man No Way Home. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like it's a little it's a little bit earned, but this would have been a really big surprise because nobody yeah. would have expected it. Exactly, I 100% agree with that. They, I mean, they did. They went to length to to try at least to keep secret for Spider Man No Way Home that Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire were in the movie. It was like the worst, best kept secret. But like we, uh, as an audience, we kind of knew it was somewhat happening, but we didn't know for sure. Um, but with this, I I have a question for Ernesto. Do you want this to just be a one off for Hugh Jackman? Yes. Or do you, because shortly after this, like literally in 2025, we're getting uh, the the Kang, Desti- the Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars. So like, would you like him to be a part of that? Or do you think Hugh Jackman Wolverine should just stand alone in that movie, in Deadpool 3? No, it makes sense to have them 
because Secret Wars is about everybody is about everybody coming together. Like, but maybe he goes to Secret Wars and he dies. Like, mm-hmm. like maybe something really intense. I, well, no, because then that kind of diminishes like Logan a little bit. <clears throat> A little bit if you kill him again, but it's hard because like you now now with Marvel and the multiverse, they literally have a back door to do anything they want to do. Yeah, and, and that's that's the the difficult part of being like, does it? I mean, does it really need to make sense? No, the multiverse done. Check we are, we answered your question. You know, yeah. so it's it's hard. It almost, but it, it's almost like, well, are there any stakes? Because they could easily like whoever dies here. Like we could just easily have them come some another version of them come from another universe and that be exactly. our new one. Yeah, absolutely. I I do feel like though that part of me just feels like I just want him to be in Deadpool three and then maybe introduce a new set of X the X Men for the MCU like, like Young Wolverine. Yeah, or something like I I like that you know he's part of Deadpool and Deadpool and Wolverine and those characters are still part of the Fox stuff. So it's almost feel like this is like a wrap up of that. And then we can move on to like, you know, forward within the MCU. But, you know, we'll see what happens. Obviously, uh, we need a story beat. Like, how does this make sense in, in yeah. a sense? Okay. Um, but I'm excited. This this definitely brings more excitement to Deadpool 3. Um, and it looks like that Marvel's doing exciting things. First time dealing with Deadpool and with Ryan Reynolds. So, uh, so that's exciting. Um Continuing with some Marvel news, Marvel Studios has shaking up its Armor Wars project. Uh, what was originally planned as a Disney Plus series will now be redeveloped as a feature film. The move essentially pushes back the title further down the development slate. Sources say the studio was committed to getting the story right. Uh, I'm sorry, committed to getting the story told the right way, and in that pers- uh, in that process realized that a feature film was better suited for the project. Don Cheadle, who is reprising his longtime MCU role as Colonel James Rhodey Rose, a.k.a. War Machine, remains uh, on board to star. Um, Yazer Lester, who was acting as a head writer for the series, will remain, will now, will remain, will still remain to now write the screenplay. No director has been officially attached, and it's unclear when Armor Wars, the, the, the Armor Wars movie, would pop into the Marvel's timeline because now they have to squeeze that in there. Um, so who knows when we're going to get that project? Yeah, it just seems like maybe there's there wasn't enough there for a series. Like, like even if they were going to use Armor Wars to like backdoor another somebody else, I don't know. It just it's kind of weird. <laughs> it is weird because like at this point you've been developing this show for a while now, and then it feels like it's kind of late that you decide to make this a movie. But to your point, Ernesto, like at, at the bare minimum, a show from a Marvel show has about six hours worth of content and maybe they only had enough for two. Yeah. Or but maybe, and that's a good thing because I don't want to yeah, right. see, I don't want to see six hours of dragged out trash. Like exactly. I, I'd rather you condense it and make it, you know, condense it, make it nice, clean it up and like, all right, well maybe this will work good as like a solid, two hour hour 45 movie yeah and i was reading you know some comments online they made a good point that like uh, don cheeto has been around since 2010 in iron man 2 so like it almost feels right that he would get a, a zone movie since he's been with marvel for so long now very similar to how black widow probably deserved to get her own movie and she did yeah. um hot guy probably the same but he got his own series so 
it's it's interesting that you know they decide to make this a feature. We do the only thing story wise that we know about Armor Wars is that um, it would take place immediately after the Secret Invasion TV series. So mm-hmm. so whatever story takes place there, um, see, uh, Armor Wars would pick up right after that. And uh, Don Cheadle is in Secret Invasion, so we're gonna see him like a preview of what he's been up to in that show before we see him then come out in the movie. Okay. Okay. So, so I guess we can kind of treat it as like, you know, the Falcon and Winter Soldier, you know, that was a TV series first. And then now we get Captain America four with, you know, Anthony Mackie donning Captain America. So it, this can kind of be similar to that. You know, we see Rhodey in secret invasion, then he gets his own movie. Um, I think Sam Rockwell is, re- is reprising his role as John Hammock. Is, is that, I think oh, that's John, John Hammer. Is it, what, what, what character did he play? The uh, Hammer, Hamrick? Uh, was it Iron Man 2, right? Iron Man 2, yeah. I think it's something Hammer. I think it's Hammer. He played... Justin Hammer. Justin, Justin Hammer. Hammer. Not even close, but John. <laughs> I got the J <laughs> right. <laughs> but I think he's coming back, and so I think also... Maybe Riri Williams as Ironheart might be making an appearance in there as well. I could be wrong with that, but that makes sense to me. Yeah. So, like, maybe introduce her character in a TV show, like what they're already doing, and then have her come out with a movie very similar to with WandaVision. And we have Monica Rambeau, and now she's going to be in the Marvel. So, I guess that kind of all makes sense, but just kind of where it fits in, and this is going to be before or after the Secret War stuff. Because it looks like they had a director yet, so no, they (laughs) who knows when this is gonna happen. (laughs) Uh, they got some work to do. Uh, but speaking about not having a director and having some work to do, (laughs) (laughs) um, to our next story, uh, Basam Tariq, I could be pronouncing Tariq, I could be pronouncing that wrong, I apologize. Um, has exited the role as director of Marvel Studios' Blade, starring Mahershal Ali. Uh, Tariq's departure comes as a shock as production was set to begin in November. That's next month. Um, Tariq posted on social media that a blade, blade, blade has been a beautiful ride. At this moment, I'm filled with love and gratitude toward the folks at Marvel as well as the incredible crew and cast we assembled. I'm eager to see how the next director builds on the foundation we've set. I'll now be joining the project as an executive producer as I move on to what's next. Marvel also issued a statement saying, due to continued shifts in our production schedule, uh, Bassam is no longer moving forward as director of Blade and will remain as an executive producer on the film. We appreciate Bassam's talents and all the work he's done getting Blade where it is. Um, I feel like that's a big blow to the to the film, losing the movie right before you're starting filming. Um, or, I mean, or losing the director, all, I apologize. But not only that, um, in addition to that, I've seen mm-hmm. there's been reports from Rashad Ali saying that he's been frustrated with production, that they've that the, sh- the script currently has two lackluster action sequences, and that it's that it doesn't seem like things are going well there. Mm. And I wonder if that was like I wonder if it was Marvel kind of saying that the director wasn't ready. Or maybe the director was like, hey, I'm not feeling this. I'm going to leave. You know, like, who who sent who out? Did, did he leave on his own terms? Or did Marvel was like, I don't think this is working out? And like we've seen before, more notably in the Fast franchise, we do know that sometimes the actor has more power 
then the director, obviously this is could be the case, and maybe Mahershala's frustration, and I, I'm just speculating here, could have kicked out the director. He's like, hey, this isn't working out. Yeah, cause um, he's, but he's still staying on as an EP. Exactly. Yeah, that's very true. But the same thing happened with, um, was it Justin Lin for uh, Fast? I believe it was. It, I believe it was Justin Lin um, in the Fast franchise. Yeah, yeah, he did. He did after all. Yeah, uh, I think he's staying on as a producer, but he is no longer uh, a part of. Yeah, he's. Yeah, Justin Lin's still a producer of Fast Ten. And but he was directing it. Now he he exited because he wanted to move the move the series in a different direction. And Vin Diesel's like and Universal were like, nope, we want to go in this direction. We can you know thank you for your time here. Yeah. <laughs> and now they have the uh, the Incredible Hulk director now um, doing the movie, which I forgot his name. He also directed Now You See Me. He's um uh Louis something Luis. I believe it's his name. Let's see it right here. Luis, Luis Letlater. Letier. Letier, yeah. I think he's a French director. I could, yeah, yeah. He's he's a French director. Um, he did the Incredible Hulk and Clash of Titans, and now you see me. Um, so yeah, so I, I think he'd be a good fit. But anyway, moving on from Fast. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, that could be one of those situations. What I'm trying to say, like it could be a situation where you know that the actor had more power in the sense, and maybe the director wasn't working out. Um, but either way, it's a big blow for the movie, and we are it's almost inevitable that this movie's going to get delayed. Yeah, I, I mean, Marshall Ali, he's a, he's a, you know, I think he knows what he's doing. <laughs> very true, very true. But I, it almost feels like that in order for Marvel to keep its November third, twenty twenty three release, which is a month, which is a year and a month away, uh, they got to find that director quick like yes and 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 that's only if they're not going to rewrite the script you know like if the if the script is solid and they're just need a director maybe we can move along fairly quickly but if they're looking for a rewrite we're, we're pushing we're pushing yeah. this release date for and sure it's going to completely shift where it's going to go in the timeline absolutely and with that maybe just maybe maybe armor wars can fit, fill that slot uh, if mm. they can get that off the ground, if Blade's not going to f- occupy that spot, but I, I, I do feel like we're going to be getting a, a Marvel release shift soon. That announcement's coming. We just don't know what exactly. They just don't know what's going to go where. <laughs> exactly. And once they do, they'll hide it for a while and then they'll let us know. Um, but I, I feel like there's a shift coming within Marvel. But anyway, that's all the Marvel news. Let's move on to 20th Century Studios. And they have revealed the first look and title for the latest edition of the Planet of the Apes franchise. I had no idea they were working on a sequel. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the secret. <laughs> <laughs> the sequel will be titled Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes and will take place many years after 2017's War of the Planet of the Apes. The next chapter of the saga will be directed by Wes Ball, who is responsible for the Maze Runner trilogy, um, with the screenplay being written by Joss Friedman, who is a creator of Foundation and the Snowpiercer series, uh, Patrick Assen, who was the writer of Prey, and Rise of the Planet of the Apes, Jurassic World, and Mulan writers, Rick Rafa and Amanda Silver. Uh, the film will star The Witcher's Freya Allen, Owen Teague, and Teague. Yeah. Owen Teague. And Peter McCone. Macon? Uh, Macon? Yeah. 
Uh, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is slated for a 2024 release with production beginning next month. Uh, it didn't seem like you were too thrilled about this news, Ernesto. No, because I think the last trilogy was so good and it ended so well. Like, such a great trilogy from start to finish. Like, or was it four films? Was it three or it was, four? It was three. It was three. It was three. I thought it was, I mean, that was Caesar. Like, uh, Andy Serkis yeah. as Caesar. I mean, that series was phenomenal. I felt like, but I felt like it closed out. It's like, all right, we're good. We don't need mm-hmm. any more. This, this has Jurassic World written all over it. <laughs> <laughs> well, the writers are there. They literally, they're writing yeah. it. <laughs> um, I, I'm okay with this. Uh, obviously, this is a, a continuation from the trilogy. Um, I, I do like those movies. I'm fine going back to that world. Um, I just don't know what we're going to get. You know, I don't know. I don't think Annie Serkis is involved, as we know. Um, which is a big blow to the series, first of all. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if Matt Reeves is still producing, which he directed Don and... I'm sorry, yeah, he directed Don and War. Uh, and those were fantastic movies. Yeah, they were great. And so I don't... And then he obviously moved on after that to do um, uh, The Batman. And so I'm just going to quickly look here to see the producers on it. Uh, mm, nope. Yeah, no, no Andy Serkis. No, no Matt Reeves. So this is definitely a, a separation from that. So that's unfortunate. Um, but I'm, a, I'm here for it. I just, I just hope that they can just like at least be close to what the trilogy had to offer. That's kind of where I'm at. I'm not, we'll I'm, not expect, I'm not expecting it. But I just want a close, and obviously a trailer. And so, like, I mean, I'm I'm interested to see the world. They released a photo, which you can fo- you can look at the photo on our Instagram page at box office underscore bingers under the breaking news section where we first uh, put out the story. And the photo looks cool. Um, I'm it looks like a very desolate world run by apes. Now this is what, like, it, this is what the franchise was kind of leading towards. And now we get to see what happens afterward. But there's a lot of skeptic. The uh, I'm. I'm skeptical, but I'm intrigued. So maybe we're going to see like hundreds of years into the future, like almost the time of the original one where like a human crash lander crash lands mm-hmm. almost oh. like um like the Mark the Mark Wahlberg movie. You remember that yeah. one? Yeah. Where, yeah, like, yeah. This is this civilization has already been established. They've already taken over. Yeah. Um I I just feel like it has a lot it has big shoes to fill, you know, especially when it comes to the to the motion capture they they put into that movie. So um, it needs hopefully, to be on the same level, if not better. Yeah, seriously. But then again, we're not seeing any circus involved or Matt Reeves being a producer. So, again, skeptical but intrigued. I'm here for it. I'm, I'm, I want to see what they can do. And also, this is now under Disney now, so they have money. Also, like this Peter is under Macon. Why does that that name sound so familiar? As uh, he is. Oh, it's Bordis from. Bordis. Oh. <laughs> Oh, he, he he's familiar with heavy prosthetics. He knows how to. Yeah, exactly. That's great, what I'm saying. Yeah, he would be, he'd be a great monkey. <laughs> All right. Um, well, that that's kind of I, I like him, and I think I actually think he would play. He has like that, like um, he, like that depth to his voice. Yes. To where he can he can pull off like a great like powerful ape almost. Yeah, like he has that deep voice yes, that will work. Yeah. yeah. Yes, like, like exactly. It's almost like a very brooding character. Yes. And, and, and Bordas is very, 
like you know d- you know his voice is Silence! very deep. So, yeah. <laughs> just do that once. Just do that once. <laughs> or just have him sing. I love to hear him sing as well. <laughs> um, but yeah, a lot of people like uh, Freya Allen, um, if I'm pronouncing her last name correctly, from The Witcher. So um, maybe she's playing a young character in it or a young ape. But I'm I'm here for it. Like I said, a little bit skeptical, but I'm intrigued. So I'm here for what they have to talk. I mean, I'm going to watch it. Yeah, we're going to watch it. (laughs) Um, Moving on over to Disney. Disney's working on a feature-length film based on the beloved character Figment, the small purple dragon who serves as the mascot of Epcot's Imagine Pavilion in Orlando. Um, Seth Rogen's production company Point Grey will produce the film with Dan um, Hernandez and Benji Sami. Uh, the writers of Detective, Pokemon Detective Pikachu set to write the screenplay. Figment was created by Walt Disney Imagineers Tony Baxter and Steve Kirk, among other collaborators, in 1983, the same year it made its debut in the Epcot ride Journey into Imagination. Figment is the embodiment of the an, uh, imagining process, um, a figment of your imagination. No director or cast have been announced yet. What do you think of Figment sure. getting a movie. Sure. I mean, I guess. I mean, why, <laughs> why not? Like, yeah. I mean, everybody needs their own movie. I mean, uh, I, I've never, to be honest, I couldn't even, I don't even remember if I've ever written, did the journey into imagination thing. Oh, really? It, it's, it's, it's a, it's a cute kid's ride. It's, it's okay. obviously designed for children. Um, kind of like it's go through all the senses. And then the last part of it is like the last sense is imagination. You got to have imagination to like, you know, have your senses run wild type of deal. Um, and it, it's, it's cute. But over the last few years, it, it's gotten a resurgence. Uh, Figment has, I know it's, it started with Epcot. Like we just, um, Epcot opened in 1982. Um, and actually it just celebrated its 40 years, literally two days ago. Uh, so congratulations, Epcot. And, uh, and then a year later they opened the ride with the character and it had a, you know, some praise over there. And then it kind of died down in the early two thousands. And now it's getting, there's a resurgence on the character and a lot of people are loving him. And, um, and they even announced during D 23 that they're bringing back the meet and greet. You can actually meet figment again. Um, so that's exciting. They used to have a character called dream finder, which they took out from the ride. Um, and if you look at photos of dream finder, he looks exactly like Seth Rogen. So <laughs> I, I know that Seth Rogen's producing it, but I think he could be a great dream finder. Um, I feel like that would fit him and his personality very well. So I, uh, I know. Right now, did, he, did he find the image? Oh, I just saw it. Okay. Yeah. You see what uh, I mean? Yes. Like, yes. Yeah. What was unclear if this movie was going to be animated or live action. We don't know. I was, if, I'm assuming it's live action, but it wasn't stated. Um, I'm curious to see who would voice Figment as well. He has like a very cartoony voice, so I'm curious what they would, you know, implement. Maybe I, the first voice I heard is Charlie Day. I feel like he can do like a nice, very cartoonish voice. I think he could be great for that. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm here for it. I understand the popularity that maybe they're trying to cash in on that. It's a very popular character. So, um, and it's a character. It's another one of those theme park movies. That they, they're trying to put out there. We have, obviously, Haunted Mansion that's coming up. We had Pirates and Jungle Cruise and another one down the list of taking a theme park IP and making a movie out of it. <laughs> that's so, so true. 
<laughs> Nothing new for Disney is what I'm no, saying here. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but also, I think the Detective Pikachu riders. That's I think that's a good fit. Like yeah, that, that makes me. Yeah, I. So I, guess I feel it, like it should be on the same level as that. That that that's what I'm saying, right? Like the writing style. If we're mixing in real world with animation and stuff like that, that hybrid model, I think that could work pretty well with it. Uh, but anyway, time will tell on that one. Uh, moving over to now this one. This one I'm excited for. Uh, Peacock has ordered a movie based on the popular comedy series Community, which aired for six seasons from 2009 to 2015. Uh, the movie will bring back original stars Joe McHale, Danny Pudi, Allison Brie, Gilligan Jacobs, Jim Rash, and King uh, Ken John. Uh, will pick up. And it will pick up uh, after the series finale, this movie. Uh, six seasons and a movie started as a cheeky line from Community's early seasons and has quickly ignited a passionate fan movement. And now the show's prophecy is finally being fulfilled. Community creator Dan Harmon will serve as an executive producer as well as a writer for the film. Further details, including a director and an estimated premiere date, um, have not been announced. It's also unknown whether... Other key community cast members, including Yvette Nicole Brown and Donald Glover, uh, might still make an appearance or at least a cameo. Um, Ernesto, your thoughts? Six seasons in a movie. It's coming back. Well, they're finally fulfilling the promise. I think that's mm-hmm. the that's the biggest thing. It's like now the show can actually hold hold true to what everything in the show, like matching what they created, what they wanted to create for this movie. Mm-hmm. What will be interesting is if they can get well, no, Chevy Chase is dead. They killed him in the show. I mean, they did kill. They, yeah, they killed. Yeah, they did kill him in the show, and he also did not leave on. He left Great on terms. bad terms. Yeah, yeah, so I would not expect him to be returning. Yeah. But it would it. it it would be so much better if they came back and did a movie, even if it's just for a couple of scenes or mm-hmm. like they don't need to be completely involved. Although it will feel weird that they're not, that they wouldn't be completely involved. Like Nivette, you mean Nivette Nicole Brown and Donald Glover? Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like it, it would make, it would make this, the movie feel whole if they're a part of it. Yeah. Um, uh, because especially it, like some time has passed. I understand as an actor, like you, you know, you could be, you feel like you're getting stuck in the same role or you no longer want to do it anymore. And so you leave the series to, to pursue other projects, but a lot of time has passed. The move, the show ended in 2015 and we live, we're in 2022 now. So that's seven, seven years. Yeah. Seven years has gone by to do enormous, uh, numerous round of different projects. It almost feels right that you would come back in some capacity to kind of, you know, again, fulfill the uh, the uh, the fulfill the promise, the, the the prophecy this show had, you know, given many years ago. Yeah, give the show a true epilogue. This could like truly close it out, and maybe make up for how bad season five and six were. Mm, yeah, it's. I I didn't mind the ending of the show. It definitely, you know, was down. It was going downhill. It wasn't great. <laughs> it wasn't great. No, um, but I just rem- I remember really liking Community. Um, when I yeah. watched it, and it's a it's a hilarious show. I was hooked from episode one. Like I, I remember Chris said, you know, you know, you might like this show, and I watched it first episode hooked. I was like, yep, this is the show I'm gonna watch now. Um, and I can't say that with The Office or Parks and Rec to compare. Like it took me a while to you know for it to find its footing, and I feel like for me, Community got it from day one, and they stuck with it and expanded on that. Uh, you know, the, as the seasons went on. 
but this is exciting. I'm, I'm happy they were able to do this, and I think Peacock's a good home. Obviously, it it aired on NBC before going to numerous other places, mm-hmm. um, but now it's coming back home to where it started, and that that's very fitting as well. Um, so great for community. I don't we don't know when that's coming out. I'm assuming it's probably going to be in 2024, if I had a guess. Yeah. Um, you know, they may be now spending a lot of time, you know, it's not going to be something crazy. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, so that's exciting to hear for all the community fans, uh, moving over to, uh, Ruben Fletcher. Is that, is that, is that Fleischer? 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 Ruben Fleischer. Sure. Um, the director <laughs> behind Zombieland 1 and 2, Venom and Uncharted has just signed on to direct Now You See Me 3 for Lionsgate. Uh, for the screenplay, the studio has brought on, uh, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies and the Lego Batman movie screenwriter Seth Graham Smith to work on a new draft of the screenplay overseen by Fleischer. I'm, I feel like I'm going to pronounce it three different ways by the end of this. Um, <laughs> the the previous draft was penned by Oscar nominee Eric Warren Singer, who previously co-wrote Top Gun Maverick and American Hustle. Uh, Fleischer said that Eric was able to unlock a fresh and exciting way into a new movie and fun new character. So I'm excited to dig even further into that. It's unknown if the entire cast will return for the sequel. So it looks like there was a script involved and now, you know, it sounds like Eric Warren Singer left the project and, but he's still probably getting writing credit for it. And now this um, Seth Graham Smith is coming in to do a new draft and they got a new director ahead of that as well. Uh, uh, well, I mean, I'm hopeful. I, I really liked, I loved the first one. The second one was good. Yeah. Um, I just hope that like, this needs to be it. Like <laughs> close this, this needs to be the last chapter. <laughs> yeah. And I think it helps that, especially like, uh, you know, since the director Ruben, he's done Zombieland one and two, he's very familiar with Jesse Eisenberg and Woody Harrelson, who was in Zombieland one and two. So they already, and, and also now you see me one and two. So they already have that rapport with one another. So that, that could be easy behind the scenes. True. Um, if, if they do return, it makes, to me, it sounds very silly if they don't. Yeah. Right. Why, why make it, why make a, now you see me three, if you're not bringing back at least most of the cast, I would have to rewatch both movies just to, just yeah. to remember. I do remember like really loving the first one. Like, I, mm-hmm. Like, I just love, and I hope that there's more of that, like, doing the magic and kind of, like, almost, like, seeing more of the magic heist. Yeah, it was, it's it's fun. Yeah, that's exactly what we want. Um, And I do feel like that, you know, he could be an, a good director for it. I, I, I do like Zombieland. Um, you know, you know, my thoughts on Venom, I don't like it. And <laughs> Uncharted was a, was a fine adventure movie. So I think he can bring the best parts of at least Uncharted and, and Zombieland and give us a well-rounded comedy adventure with magic and a heist and like an adventure. So like, I, I think he, I think he can do well in, in this movie. Um, but again, without unknown about the original actors, if you don't bring them back, then there's no point in making this movie. Exactly. So hopefully they do get him back, or at least a good majority of them. I mean, we still also have Mark Ruffalo, Michael Caine, <laughs> um, <laughs> Dave Franco. Uh, yeah, Samuel so. Jackson? No, he wasn't no. part of that. No, I don't think Who so. Who was that? No, was, I'm th- maybe I'm thinking of Michael Caine. Michael Caine was like the guy behind the scenes kind of deal. Um, I do know that they had... Oh, Common. Well, he, no, well, he was a... Uh, um, he was like an officer, so he, I don't think he was part of the sequel. Um, Isla Fisher was in the first one, 
and they had I don't know if they recasted her in the sequel or if they because that role no she played a different position so they they found a new female to in that slot but they didn't that she didn't replace that character she was a new mm. character uh lizzie kaplan was uh you know coming in and then also tanya radcliffe i forgot he was in the movie as well <laughs> in the second uh, one was he really? in the sec yeah he was in the second morgan freeman is what you're where you're thinking ah, about morgan freeman that's right he was in the first two that's right so yeah i remember thinking the second one was okay um john m chu he uh um he directed um in the heights and on his way to uh doing the wicked movies um uh, he directed now you see me too so uh yeah I, and also obviously he did crazy rich asians yeah i don't remember being too thrilled about the sequel yeah um but anyway it's a it's a fine enough franchise and i do agree with you rounding out a movie as the trilogy and then we can you know hopefully they end on a high note i guess yeah um, and the last piece of news we're going to talk about this week is uh, a new Cloverfield movie is currently in development at Paramount Pictures. According to Variety, the sci-fi anthology series is getting another installment with new horror director Bambak Anvari uh, set to take the helm. Encounter writer Joe Barton will pen the script. J.J. Abrams' Bad Robot Production Company will produce the film alongside Matt Reeves and Drew Goddard. Uh, on board as executive producers. The plot and the release date remains unknown. Um, sure. Sure, sure. Yeah. I it's... liked 10 Cloverfield Lane. I thought it was good and different. Like, it was nothing like like the, the original Cloverfield movie. So Yeah, I'll, I feel I'll like Cloverfield has an interesting track record. Uh, it's I feel like it's just very bleh. Like, just to continue off this, like, these movies don't really connect. They're just separate stories within this world i feel like it, i feel the like cloverfield will be better served as a series at this point instead of like mm, these anthology, like an anthology movies yeah yeah anthology series and not like an anthology movie series like um it doesn't make me hyped up for what's to come i do i do agree with you i like cloverfield i like 10 cloverfield lane i did not like cloverfield paradox that was on netflix oh see i didn't um, watch that <laughs> yeah that was that was garbage um and so, I mean, this was this is being made by Paramount. This feels like a Paramount Plus movie to me. Yeah. Like you have an unknown director for the most part. You have a very, you know, not a not a very well known writer either. So that that's a good movie for your streaming service, not really for theaters. But who knows? That could change when we have uh, maybe a cast and a story attached to it. Maybe my opinion can change on that. But for now, Cloverfield movies in the works. If you like the franchise, we're getting more of it. Um, and so there you go. That's all the news we have for you guys this week. As always, you can find all the latest and breaking news on our social media channels on Instagram at box office underscore bingers and on Facebook at box office bingers. We're going to post it over there first when it comes out, and then we will come back on the show and talk about it here. Uh, so with that, we're going to move over to a fun segment we like to call What You're Watching. So Ernesto, we'll start with you. What have you been watching? Well, considering how this last week has been, I haven't been watching much, and even beforehand. Um... I did. T- I'm trying to remember. I told you that I watched Succession. Did I tell you that I finished it? Mm, I. It's been a couple weeks. Yeah, I don't think you had finished it just yet. Yeah, I think I had like two episodes left. Um, it was good. It was great. Okay. Okay. Um, I liked the way they closed the series out. Um, it was fine. Uh, it's definitely worth the watch. Like you can obviously you can see the writing on that is the writing on that show is so good. You can obviously see why it won. Um, highly recommend. Um, I'm still behind on She-Hulk. Um, hmm. Oh, uh, we watched the first episode of Andor. 
really oh good. okay yeah loved how love i loved how different it is like it's it's pretty dark like my son was it watching is. it and they, were, and they were like he was like let me go and then he didn't and then we were like oh <laughs> okay <laughs> That's what's there. happening. But yeah. we, I mean, the story is so intriguing, and I kind of, I'm loving that it's not about like, I, like I don't know how to explain it. It's just, it's refreshing. It's refreshingly yeah. different. It's, it's not about it's, it's expanding Star Wars lore, but on like the ground level. And, and what is it? Is exactly yeah. what Star Wars needs to survive. This is what mm-hmm. it needs to survive. Stop like, relying on the main canon stuff to like to keep people interested and just have that stuff like be echoes of in the universe. Like you could know yeah. subconsciously that it's there, but that doesn't need to be the main focus of the story. And and like we've explained before, I mean, Rogue One is kind of very similar to the series, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I'm caught up with it for. Yeah, yeah. There's four episodes out. I've seen all four. Um, I, I think it was really smart for them to release the first three episodes because I watched it in one sitting and it serves as a great prologue to the adventure that he's about to dive into. Mm. So like so like if you watched it one, two, three, you're like, OK, we we got we got somewhat what the story is. We got a little bit of a, of his background. Now let's go for it. Now the adventure can begin and what the story is really building up toward. And that to me is exciting. Um, being that enthralled in a Star Wars series, obviously I, that hasn't really happened since The Mandalorian. Um, another character that they brought in fresh that we don't know much about, as opposed to Boba Fett and Obi Wan, it feels like that. Star Wars is able to take more liberties for a little bit more of an unknown character, and that has a better reception when they try to play with characters that a lot of people love. Um, so I'm, I'm here for Andor. I'm excited to watch that week to week. Um, and I think you are – episode one and two are very similar to me as far as like the tone, mm-hmm. but three is when we start getting – start pick up a little bit in three, so – I think oh, you're well, going to that, that. That's exciting because, I mean, even the first episode, I would, like, we, if we didn't have to go to bed, I, we were going <laughs> to keep going. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, it, yeah, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. It was really, it was really good. Um, on my overnight stay, I wanted something to just watch to, like, shut my brain off in between sure, the shifts. Ab- absolutely. So I, pay, I went on HBO Max and I watched um, the Harley Quinn animated series. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's actually really funny. Like, in, like, a stupid, <laughs> in, like, a stupid, like, raunchy, not even, like, raunchy. Like, well, it, mm-hmm. it is a little bit. But it, it's it's pretty funny. Like, it's, yeah. it's a great watch to just kind of just shut your brain off and just kind of, like, accept what's coming at you. Like, it's just, <laughs> it's outlandish. It's funny. Like, it's about, like, Harley Quinn, like, restarting on her own, like, trying to build her own thing away from the Joker. And, like, you get some of the villains, but you almost get to, like, um, you get to know some of the villains. Like, Bane is, like, this, like, emotionally distressed person. Like, he's, like, always really, <laughs> like, he's, like, big and jacked, but he's actually really sad inside. Like, he doesn't like the way the Joker talks to him. And <laughs> everybody always shits on Bane. Like, it's just weird stuff like that. Like <laughs> That's funny. Uh, it was, uh, so it's it's uh, it's very entertaining. It's very very entertaining. I'm like halfway through with the first season. Okay, and I think they have three seasons total, if I'm not mistaken, right? So oh, far, wow. I think. Yeah. So ah, you got you got, you got a lot of watch. Yeah, I got some I got some watching to do, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, I mean, obviously it's popular for a reason, and I think I think part of it is just that it is a little bit raunchy, and that a lot of people are responding well to that. Yeah. So. Um, and then finally. Uh, the one that I thought I would have been excited to talk about, um, Hocus okay. Pocus 2. 
was not oh good. boy <laughs> it was not good it was not good it was kind of bad like it was <laughs> like the story had no direction like like completely negates what the first the whole first movie was about like and then all of a sudden like i i, I don't know did you get a chance to watch it i did what I did. It, and what uh, please i'm really i'm just saying that i'm really glad that we decided not to review this movie that's all i'm saying <laughs> <laughs> you're that was a conversation we had to make it a, a review because yeah. we knew it was going to be popular and we and we and we funny because we did say we're probably going to watch it but i'm not sure if we want to go as far as making a whole review out of it we and made the uh, right decision <laughs> I did not want to dedicate that kind of energy to that movie. <laughs> so I'll 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 I'm put some like a pre some some context first. Megan loves the first movie. Same thing she with my wife. Loves loves Hocus Pocus. So literally on Friday when you know we when again the storm has gone away we were fine and we're like we're watching Hocus Pocus too like as soon as it comes out and I said I knew this was coming that's fine yeah same. I'm not a big fan of Hocus Pocus one. Yeah, I right? like it. It's, it's like it's it was fine. fine. <laughs> it's fine. It's not not. It, honestly, I'm surprised of the movement that it's had over the years and the popularity and the cult following and like bringing in all this nostalgia, all that stuff. I don't see it personally. I think that obviously the Sanderson sisters are very marketable now and they're very energetic and, and then they're popular. And I understand them as characters to be excited about, but the movie itself, it's just fine. Like yeah. it's, it's just fine. And that's the first so, one you're talking about. I'm just talking about the first one. Yes. Okay. So we're moving into the second one now. <laughs> Megan's all excited. We're watching it about honestly, as soon as they came up, and they're like, we're here, and they started singing. I was like, oof, this, <laughs> this is gonna, this is gonna like, be a ride. Oh man! And I, again, because I didn't care for the second one, I had low expectations on the sequel. Uh, I'm sorry, yeah, since I wasn't a fan of the first one, I had low expectations on the sequel. And it, it's funny because after watching the second one, I'm like, this makes me like the first one more because how bad the second one was <laughs> yes, i actually agree because i think they said all right we're gonna make a second one what's the best shit about it, the first one that we can throw into the second one and then they made the second one all about the highlights of the first one like yes, them singing like i think if i remember correctly there's only in the first one it's just i put a spell on you like that yeah, one that's scene that's the one song that's in the movie, and it was a very pivotal part of the movie. Or maybe there was one other. I don't know, but I no, feel well, like it, they, it wasn't as prominent as it was in this movie. They're, they're, I mean, if you want to count the song where um, I forgot what her character name, Sarah Jessica Parker's uh, mm-hmm. character, with a little humming thing, uh, the little humming thing, and she's like, and she's like, "Come, little children." Da, 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 no, see, but whatever. that was that was cool because that was worked that was worked into the story. That was almost right, like her, exactly her Pied Piper power. So that yes, that so I that understood. Was, and but that was this, part of the that was this part one of like, was like this one was like every three scenes it's like all right here's our musical number yeah it's like, the, the musical number at the very beginning like when they when they sang like we're back and then they had all this this the witches are back it's like yeah what no no thank you and then for like megan was like all excited because they're like oh they're gonna sing i'll put a spell on you again right uh, and then they decided to go with a, a, uh, one way or another. No. I, I'm going to get you, get you, get you, get you one way. I think that's what the song was. Yeah, it is. And I was like, 
I would have preferred if they just sang the song again. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was like, uh, to me, that that's it's a catchy, I put a spell on you, yeah. and now you're mine. You're mine, uh, you're mine. Yeah, yeah. The, like, uh, like but, and, and also just part of the story, they were like, it was almost like, for the story in the first movie, they were like, kind of in spite of the children, it's like, oh, now these adults are not going to be able to help you because we cast a spell on them and they're going to be dancing until they die. Yeah. Um, like that they got, that was the spell on them. So it was, it was fun. It was entertaining in the moment. And then to move the story. Yeah, it worked. And then to move the story forward. It had a cohesive story. It had a cohesive story from start to finish. You right. understood what the fuck was happening. This yes. one was like, oh, the shopkeeper's bad. He just released these witches. He just tricked you on purpose. But you know what? Everything's cool, man. You're fine. <laughs> everybody everybody makes mistakes. Everybody releases evil witches and tricks yeah. little girls to to light candles to, to release this evil and have them be killed by these witches. <laughs> Honestly, my biggest gripe was that – spoiler, I guess. We're going to spoiler territory in Hocus Pocus 2 now um, – that she had powers. That is my biggest gripe about the movie, is that the girl had powers, and she was, like, a witch. And I was like, all right, enough. It's, no. I don't, I don't, I don't, among other, I did not care for that. Um, I, I, obviously, it's, it's funny, because the way the movie started and the way the movie ended, it, it loses its magic, for lack of a better term, because you are specifically and purposefully focusing on the witches because that's what you that's what the audience wants whereas the first movie the witches were an added bonus to the story like yes. they were they were the villains in this and they, but they also spent time on the story in in this movie they didn't really spend they 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 spent more time on the witches because they know that's what the people want, and when you're developing a story around that, it becomes a little bit less magical, for lack of a better term. You know what I mean? And all of a sudden, Book's got feelings, and he has he has his own opinions. Yes, and he's he decides who's going to be the next powerful witch. Mm. And so now this girl's so like, but do all three? Then there was at one point like, do all three of them have powers? Because they were collectively. It, it they were collectively putting that force field up. But oh, she, oh but, I see. But when they were fighting her, if she was the most powerful witch in the world, couldn't she have just destroyed them? Yeah, essentially, yes. It, it's very – a lot was going on, especially with the bookkeeper or the, the bookseller, whatever he is. And they and they brought back uh, Billy Butcherson from the grave. Like that's just – it was – we just we're, that had no reason to be there. You just brought him back because you can. That. They could have told. They actually could have told a good story. Like I feel like, mm -hmm. like maybe it was campy and yeah, it was a Disney Channel movie. But you know, like it had it had chance to like elevate from the second one. But they just they went for the clear cash grab and like just really relying on the nostalgia from the first one. Yeah, it it definitely felt like a cash grab, obviously. Um, and no offense to the original Sanderson sister, like the original actresses. They were, uh, fine. they were fine. I just feel like that they lost their touch a little bit. Like I feel like their heart wasn't a hundred percent in it. That's just me. Like I, I didn't feel the same like energy and like, obviously they're older, so maybe that has something to do with it. But I, I don't think so. I mean, if you if you felt passionate about it, you'll go gun ho into this. And it feels like in one in some ways, Disney paid them a lot of money to do this, and they did it. Yeah. And it the energy wasn't as wasn't there as the first one. And then you have um 
the guy from um, Arrested Development in there mm. being like the mayor and what he, they had him just standing in line for apples the entire movie. Yeah. What what is and, the candy apples? What is that? And what they weren't they going to go after him because he's a descendant of 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 the Reverend? What and then the yes. at one point he didn't know he was like doing a Reverend accent like oh do you not know that you guys are the descendants of each other and like didn't he ground his daughter and then he found her outside and just like well yeah. I didn't get my apple so I'm going back inside and I was like did you forget that your daughter just threw a party in your house it, yes you, you had literally just grounded her and now you're okay with her gallivanting the streets it just feel like an odd story angle to put Tony Tony Hall is the characters as the actor's name but like he's he's such a better actor than just going around like like i'm in line for candy apple but like hold my spot in line i gotta go ground my daughter and then i ground her and then i have to go back for the candy apple and then the the the, the gag is that oh no i didn't get it at the end and i'm mad about it it's like it, what was what was the point of that it just and this and this i don't know however but like it just seems like they spent a lot of time shitting on guys right like they made the boyfriend <laughs> they made the boyfriend like this dumbass who's like who I just thought oh. I was being friends. I, I didn't realize I was making fun of you, making the yes. dad a fucking bumbling moron. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it was, I don't know. It just, it was a little weird. <laughs> it it definitely did. It I had low expectations on the movie. So did and, I. But even and that surprisingly, was like that worse it, than that. <laughs> it was worse, right? It was, it's, it's sad. Um, and, and not to, if, if anyone who watched Hocus Pocus 2 and you enjoyed it, by That's all fine. means, Enjoy, enjoy it. it. Like it, it did its job if you enjoyed it, because they brought back the Sanderson sisters for another round of, you know, Halloween hijinks, and and they and it did that. And in a way, at the very end, it was kind of a sweet ending for them as well, um, in some regard. And they kind of like in the first movie, there were more villains, and and this movie, kinda. There, I wouldn't say they, they, they definitely weren't. weren't here. They they weren't they weren't really that much of a villainous act. What bad because, thing did they do? They they possessed a crowd to run, to walk down the street, yeah, and to walk back <laughs> and to find trash. That's what they. That's all they did. That's all they did is possess them. They didn't. They didn't like. Um. They didn't force these parents to dance all night like they did in the first one. Like right, right. Like literally possess them. Like there was there was really none of that. I think the gag I liked the most was the broomsticks. Like you know that was a classic bit from the first one, and you have. Um, one on the Roombas, one on the classic broom, and the other one on the Swiffer. Like, and even yeah. though they wrote the Roombas as like their own people, <laughs> so, like they kind of had like their own, they got like had almost like like a mind of their own, like doing their own yeah. thing, and got them yeah, out of the salt circle. Uh, it was uh, yeah, that that was cute, I guess. Um, it worked for for what they were the gag they were trying to go for. Um, yeah, because obviously you know Winifred had the classic broom. Um, what's her name? Sarah had the mop and so now it's a swiffer and then mary had the the vacuum and now it's the roomba so yeah it's just a modern version of it but overall it was just it didn't even live up to the expectations that i i had even set for it like the low expectations that it was and it and it did feel like a cash grab but that being said though i did like the um uh ted lasso um she was like a, a the superior witch the Telasso. Oh yeah, yeah. That's where I recognized her from. Yeah, yes. um, she was her. She's credited as the witch mother and played by Hannah uh, Waddingham, who was obviously in Ted Lasso. So I think she did great. Like I would yeah. honestly, I expected more from her in the movie, but just that one scene. But she did great in that role. Well, she was in the last scene too, when the 
when the new coven of witches is walking away with the book, she's that little bird that's following them. Oh, that makes a lot of sense now. Okay. And it's clear that they're that they that they're that they're possibly would set up for a third one because you know at the end you get the the second black flame candle. Right. It's still yeah. I <laughs> I think they should cut their losses. Like I I don't think that you know again no offense to the Sanderson sisters or Brett Mittler, Sarah Jessica Parker Parker and uh, Kathy and the Jimmy but. And I just didn't feel it. I didn't feel that their hearts were into it. And I, I feel like the movie lacked for it because that was the main draw of the movie was to see them mm-hmm. uh, and back in the same roles. And they did good, but not as great as the first one. Agreed. So, so yeah. But overall, a little bit of a disappointment from the low standards we already had for the movie. <laughs> yeah. It's just I haven't seen a movie that bad in a while. Like it, it was, it was pretty. It was, it was pretty bad. And my wife was really upset because she also oh, she, really she she didn't like she it was, either. No, she said that she loves the first one, and she goes the second one was just not good. She's like it had no story, like no direction. Yeah. it was not great. It's funny because Megan says she liked it. She's like it 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 fulfilled what she was looking out of it, which was basically seeing the Sanderson sisters run amok again. And so I was but like, they didn't that, really run amok. That's they the didn't. No, they didn't. They didn't. It, what amok it, did it, they run? <laughs> in my opinion, Ernesto, I agree with you. But Megan got her fulfillment out of it. So like, it's hard to like. I guess if she's, I'm not gonna, you know what? It wasn't for us. It wasn't for us. It was not for us. No, but maybe for some of the target. I and last thing, because I don't want to talk about this. <laughs> We're really going long. on a tangent or, about it. <laughs> I know. I think because of how bad it was. But anyway, yeah. um, I think it's, for me, it's like, wh- what is your target audience? Are you? I feel like this should have been made for the people who watched it, who loved the first movie. Like you're you're putting into this nostalgia factor into into that, so you want to make it for the people who are feeling nostalgic over it. This movie felt like. For a younger generation, for more for like a kid oriented, and maybe that's why I also didn't gravitate toward it because like this movie was not made for me or even potentially the fans of the first movie. This was made to introduce these characters to a new generation. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that anyway. That's our thoughts. I know Hocus Pocus two was definitely a highly anticipated movie for a lot of people, um, and Disney was definitely pushing this one on Disney Plus for quite some time now and what's odd enough on that is that it actually received a decent score on rotten tomatoes which i was shocked by that i was like (laughs) so like seriously like how much nostalgia is this movie pulling for you to actually give it a a decent rating it it sits at a 60 percent on rotten tomatoes so just on their fresh scale it sits at a 55 for the audience 55 for audience 64 critics i don't agree (laughs) <laughs> to compare that to the first one, the first one got 38% audience. I'm sorry, I'm, I mean, 38% critics, 71% audience. So mm-hmm. now the critics are liking this one a little bit more, and the audiences are not enjoying it as much. Which, so, I don't know. I don't know, man. Either way. I know that I, I, know that I don't agree. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I'm with you. I wasn't that about it. But anyway, it's it's out in the world. I think they should stop after this one. They should not make a third. We're no we're good. We're good on the no more. System. Just watch yeah. the first one. <laughs> Just watch the first one and then keep selling your toys every year. Like you know, yep. your not not even toys. I shouldn't even say that. Just keep selling your uh, any costumes. just the costumes. Slap the Sanderson sisters on anything Halloween and people are gonna buy it. That's that's what we've come to. Uh, uh, other than that, that it, that's all. Yep, that's all I got. 
you said that you weren't caught up with She-Hulk. Um, I, I think that some these episodes are not as appointment viewing, I feel like, anymore, in my opinion. Mm. Uh, like, I'm still going to watch it week to week, but their their presence has... The last few episodes have not been, like, amazing. They're just there. Mm. In some cases, just, again, maybe act as filler in some cases. So, But it's still fine. It's still a fine show, obviously. Um, I did, however, watch the entire third season of The Umbrella Academy. And? I I liked it. I liked it. I, 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 liked, it. I, I liked the back half more than I liked the front half. That's fair. Um, I think I was about it from start to finish. I think it was a little bit better than season two, um, in my opinion. I I like that the the siblings were all together for the majority of the season. I know season two they were kind of separated and telling their own stories, but I think that having the family together more brings the story, like it helps the story a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the majority of the time they were kind of together on the stories or they paired him in twos and did off and did something. But I was, I was about it from start to finish. I really enjoyed, I, I took me two days to watch it. I wasn't, I was, I was having a good time with it. Um, and it's just the only thing that I can downgrade a little bit is that even though the show has even mentioned it itself, it's the same thing. The world is ending. The world is ending. The what world is ending. Mean? What can we do? How can we save it? All this stuff. Um, it's, the, it's the same story for the last three seasons. They're probably not going to change it at this point for the final season. Uh, but they did set up an interesting, you know, ne- what's going to happen next for the final season. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm here for it. I think they did a really good job, like, elevating some of the characters uh, that kind of were sitting in the background before. I think a good change for um, – I forgot her name already. She's the one that can, that says, I heard a rumor character. Mm. Um, I think they – they definitely changed her a lot, and I think that was for the better. They like her character-wise, um, Allison, Allison Hargraves. Uh, she was definitely more of the positive note in in the franchise, and now, like she's a little bit more of a darker side to her, which I really did enjoy. Um, and I think for um, Klaus Hargraves, they gave him more to do in this season as well, which I was. Yeah, they made about. him. They, I like they made him more. He was definitely way more important in this season. Obviously. Absolutely, yeah. Um, Luther forming a relationship was fine. Um, obviously they gave Ben more to do since he was actually alive and not just part of Klaus's story. Um, so that helps. Um, but number five, he's always great. I, I, he kills it. Uh, uh, his name is Adrian uh, Gallagher. He kills it in that, in that role. And I, that he's the main draw why I keep going back. Yeah. A young kid who's playing a grumpy old man. I'm here for him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he does it so well. He really does. He's he very does believable. It, yes. And like he, I feel like he is acting <laughs> leaps and bounds over these other guys. Like this, like, I know he's kind of tied up with Umbrella Academy right now, but I want to see what he does next. As well, in his I wonder career, if he's got to have something else on the docket. No, he doesn't. I looked it up. Like he's done stuff in the past, but he is—he doesn't have much titles, and he is strictly here for Umbrella Academy for 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 a little bit. Mm. Um, so hopefully, once this contract is over, we can see him in other roles because I think he's a, he's a great uh, actor. Um, like one that I could even like put a, among the uh, the the Stranger Things kids. Like I think he could he oh, could fare definitely. very well. To, you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, I look forward to more to him and I'm excited for the season finale or the series finale umbrella Academy. I think we're setting up for a nice fitting ending. And I do like that. They're actually getting one, like they're getting an ending. Um, 
So there's that. Um, I also watched Day Shift, the uh, Jamie Foxx vampire hunter movie. And? It was fine. It was... Wasn't it, wasn't bad? It wasn't bad. It was fine. It, it, it had vibes of like... It was a little bit under Project Power, and I like Project Power. Same. Um, but but it had the same energy as that. Like it it it, it I think it, I think that the day shift did its job of like just keeping you entertained. Like it started off with like an action scene, and then Jamie Fox is very energetic, and the and the story's fast moving. So I think that helped. There wasn't a lot of time to breathe, which was okay for this part. And Dave Franco giving his comedic chops um, was fine. And that, that helped move the story along. And there was one scene in this house where like a whole bunch of vampires were coming together. And it was like 10 minutes of just killing vampires. And it was pretty badass. It was That was the, the highlight of the movie. Snoop Dogg, all right. <laughs> I don't know why he's in the movie. Um, but the story was definitely a little lackluster, but the pacing and the energy kept it going, even though I could care less what happened to these characters by the end mm. of the movie. Like it, like it didn't sell me on that. I need to care about any of them, but I'm along for the ride because it's, it's entertaining. So if you're looking for something like a, like a horror action type of deal for the spooky season, that's fine. It's not, it's not really horror. It's more like gothic you know adjacent horror Mm. um because like obviously they're vampires so there's that little element there um but yeah it was fine a movie that was hot garbage though Mm. was me time with kevin hart and mark Wahlberg. that's on netflix i'm not sure if you heard about that uh i think i may have seen it but looks like didn't look like it'd be good no kind of reminds me of that last movie that we watched with mark Wahlberg. i don't even remember when we had ashley on Oh, um, something confidential, the spirit confidential, confidential something. Yes, they had, it was, it was, I think it was worse than that. Ooh, <laughs> damn. That's, that's Spencer Spen- confidential. Spencer confidential. Yeah. That's what it is. Um, I did not care for this movie whatsoever. It was, <laughs> it was a comedy. And it was a straight comedy. And I feel like they have a hard rep now because it's hard to keep engaging. You have Kevin Hart in there, but when you have a solid comedy and like the premise is, it's like, it's just simple. You have Kevin Hart, he's a stay at home dad and, um, you have, and so he's very responsible. You have Mark Wahlberg, who is like the party friend and every year they want to hype up his birthday. Um, and so Mark Wahlberg asked him to come over for his birthday cause it's been a while. It's his big, whatever, like, I think it's like four, two or something. And they're hyping that up or whatever the hell. And, um, uh, the, his wife, Kevin Hart's wife played by Regina Hall was like, you should go hang out with him. You've been home with the kids all the time. Like, I'm going to take him to my parents and you enjoy like some quote unquote me time. Mm-hmm. And so he was supposed to stay home and then he got bored um and so then his friend asked him hey one last time we should go come to my party he's like you know what i'll do that and then the shenanigans begin Mm -hmm. and it wasn't anything to write home about it was dumb stupid comedy um and yeah didn't care for it but i watched it and i regret it so i watched it and i regret it (laughs) (laughs) um i could it's like one of those it's like I, i know how it is it's like you want to watch something that is 
that you don't really have to think about. Yeah. It's like I wasn't I wasn't ongoing with the show, so I can't really rely like on a sitcom for that. So like I didn't want to watch something that was action or, or like something heavy. It was something pretty light, and it was toward the end of the night. And I was like, yeah, sure, Kevin Hart comedy that could be funny. <laughs> it wasn't. It, it wasn't. wasn't. <laughs> um, and the last thing that I watched, this is more of an experience, Ernesto. Okay. I went I went back into the theater. And I saw Avatar in 4DX. Mm, damn. And it was it was like I knew they were coming back into the theater. We had talked about it before um, that they were re-releasing Avatar. And I was like, yeah, you know what? I can I don't mind seeing that movie back in the theater, especially with the new one coming out in December. And I was like, yeah, I can be about this. And then I saw they were doing it in they were only doing it in premium format, so IMAX. Um, RPX, Dolby, ScreenX, and 4DX. So that's the only way you can see it. And I was like, I think Avatar would be fun in 4DX. The, with the chairs moving and the senses, and especially with the flying and the action at the end, I can be about that. So I, I, I did it on a Sunday afternoon, mind you. Ernesto, let me tell you, you would think that this was a new release. My theater was packed. Really? And I was, I was like, get the fuck out of here. No <laughs> way is that many people here. And I can't be mad at them because I'm the same. Because you're there too. Who, I'm there too. I'm the same guy going to see a movie I've already seen a, like a bunch of times. Uh, just in a different format. And so I was shocked that how packed this theater was. But – and so like the 4DX experience was kind of cool. I, it was also in 3D. So you got that element as well. And the chairs moved with the scenes and it was cool when he's flying around the banshee. You got the wind coming in and you're like, mm. yeah, I'm, I'm flying too. And the <laughs> a- <laughs> Let's go, Jake Sully. <laughs> um, not as – I will say not as good as the Pandora ride in Animal Kingdom. Well, Let's not compare it to that. that. That's an experience. But like, you know, for like the average consumer, sure. Like you can – you can kind of feel like you're doing it. I just got a better version at Disney. Um, <laughs> so there, there was that. So that goes fun. They, you know, there was like a couple of water scenes splashing your face. But I'll tell you what, Ernesto, I was not having as nearly as much fun as the kid sitting right in front of me. This kid, I, I couldn't tell if he's never seen the movie or he's seen it before. And he was just like, like his grandpa took him to the theater and, like, I've seen this before, but this is, like, a new experience for him. He was all about the moving chairs. He was about the movie. And when Jake Sully gave, like, that inspiring speech to all the other avatars in the land of Pandora before the final scene, this kid raised his hands up and, like, his dad was telling him to keep quiet. But he wasn't, like, yelling or anything. But he was just like, yeah, Jake <laughs> Sully, go get him. And I was like, <laughs> Holy shit, this kid is has so much energy for this movie. Like I he had so much fun. And I was and I was having a good time that he, that this kid was having a good time. And he was no more than like eight or nine. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, so like he was having a great time in the movie. And you know, not for nothing, it was a fine experience. Like the movie still hits. It's it's it still works. 
it works better. This- it works better as a movie in the theaters. At home, absolutely. At, at at home, it works, but it's nowhere near as good because that movie is made. See, that movie is made to be watched in 3D. Like it's just yeah. It's it's just built. This it, it actually enhances the story because, like, you get you feel like you're more in this universe. You feel like you're more inside this like big beautiful world like it doesn't Absolutely. matter that it's the same story as dancers with wolves like it doesn't sure yeah like none of that shit matters like it doesn't matter it's not about that see but that's where james cameron shines which is why i think as much as we were shitting on like them taking a long time for this next avatar movie i have a feeling the technological advance that he's about to introduce is going to revolutionize the film industry just oh. like just like he did when he released the first avatar after the first avatar every other fucking movie was in 3d after that movie came out absolutely yes that's for sure and going back into the theater and watching it and it was also a remastered version of avatar so mm. it, it oh, was wow. an upscale so like some of the scenes i can visually see it looks gorgeous like I can, if for my for my memory, I can see that it's been upscaled. Mm-hmm. Um, now closer to the film's release, I wouldn't be surprised if we get a 4K at home release of the movie because we don't have a 4K version of um, of Avatar that's available for home use, um, and you can't get a 4K version online either, like for digital. So they're being very smart with the with the marketing of the movie. They're probably going to release Avatar in 4K. Mm. Uh, closer to the release of the sequel, the new one that comes out in December. Um, but that being said, at the end of Avatar, they gave us a first look of the way of water. They gave us like a like a, a three minute scene, and they were really showcasing the water aspect of the new movie. And let me tell you, that looked gorgeous. Really? Like oh, they were coming, they were coming in and out of the water, and it was like seamless. Like what was happening above, like above the water was easily as visually um, amazing as what we were seeing underneath. It was like clear as day and it was was like great work. And we had this small scene with one of like the younger avatar characters and a whale. Um, And I, I thought it was great. I honestly had a really fun experience rewatching that movie in 3d and, and with the added element of 40 X and when it was released and this, at this point was two weeks ago, um, and this is one of the headlines that I kind of want to talk about. It says, despite 13 years passing since Avatar hit theaters, moviegoers are apparently still dazzled by the striking world of Pandora. The re-release generated $30 million in North America and $20.5 million internationally over the weekend. It's a huge result for a movie that opened more than a decade ago. That's crazy. It, and, and two weeks ago in the box office, it landed at number three when it opened with $10 million. And it was like, this movie, again, I can't be mad at it. I was I contributed to the $10 million. <laughs> And I was like, that movie made just as much money as Don't Worry Darley did in, internationally. Like it was, the, it was comparable to the same amount. And the fact that I saw – the fact that I saw this movie again in theaters and the fact that I saw that it was packed – and also uh, that I wasn't the only one because a lot of other people did it as well to contribute to $30.5 million added to its highest grossing movie ever box office total. Um, this gives me high hopes for the sequel. Mm. Like the sequel is going to make bank. Oh, absolutely. Like, I, of course. I had I had my doubts on it. But going back and rewatching it and seeing these numbers – I, I I have I'm on I'm on the train now. I was re-listening to the soundtrack as well. I was like, I'm back in the world, baby. I'm back, baby. <laughs> I'm back. I'm here for it. I I get it now. And the fact that you said it's been 13 years, 
who knows how that is going to change cinema as we know it. And it's from James Cameron. Yeah. He is a masterful director. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to build a world. So the movies are going to come out. It's like, all right, all those people who are talking shit. Said, yeah. What you have now. <laughs> exactly. Uh, like we said before, like take 13 years, say whatever you got to do, say people to hold it because you got to use the bathroom or don't hold it and just go use the bathroom because it's going to be three hours and you can go suck it. Uh, whatever the case he wants to say, you better back it up, James Cameron. And But I, I now know because part of my question was do people care anymore? And that was answered. People still care. Oh, yeah. People still care and, and they're going to come in droves to see the movie when it's released in December. So anyway, that's all I've been watching as well. Uh, so now we're going to be diving into our spoiler review of Andrew – I want to get his last name right – Andrew Dominic's new film on Netflix, Blonde, starring Ana de Armas as – uh, Norma Jean, a.k.a. Uh, or slash Marilyn Monroe, she takes two. Obviously, Norma Jean is her real name, and then Marilyn Monroe is more of her stage name. Um, but, Ernesto, this was also a very long movie. Uh, it, yeah. It was two, two hours and 47 minutes or something like yes, that. Yes, a very long movie with the material being as dense as it is, as in some cases hard to watch. Um, it, it definitely felt more of an art house film and an avant-garde film than it did of actual story structure. It's also weird that they decided to make a movie off of non-factual events, as we discussed in the top of the show, that this was in a fictionalized account inspired by the life of Marilyn Monroe, not an actual biography, and insists this is a work of fiction and should not be regarded as a biography. That's a weird thing to even write a book about, let alone make a movie about. But regardless, your thoughts on the film. It's it's almost like they're like these are all the things that many people have speculated what her life was like, but none of it. This is all the speculation with with without the confirmation, mm-hmm. and like this is what we think would happen. Um, this movie was intense, like right from the jump, the, from the very beginning. You get this these opening sequence with her and her mom, and we're like, what the fuck? Me and my literally after the sequence, we're like. Her and her drunk mom, her mom who's drunk, dr- tries to drive her up the hill during these forest fires. And, like, this, the whole interaction with the cop and, like, where she tries to drown her daughter in the tub. We were like, yeah. what the fuck did we just sign up for? This is yeah. – I knew this movie was going to be intense. But, damn, this – it's like the beginning just literally says strap in because we're, we're only getting started. Like, mm-hmm. and, and they were right. I – it – even though it was as long as it was, I, I mean, I thought the movie was like really captivating. It did lose me a little bit somewhere in the middle, like in between when she was, um, when she was married to the playwright to shooting her last movie when she became deranged. Somewhere around that time, I started to like lose myself. It just, I started to like, you know, we had to watch it and like, it took us like two or three sittings to, mm. to get through, to get through the whole thing. Um, one thing I really loved is the cinematography. I think the cinematography was very purposeful in the way that they did things. Um, like I loved the changing of the aspects, the changing of the black and of black and white to color. Um, you know, they get you get that one scene with her and her her and her mom where, like, by her mom is like visually it's just very dark and dreary. And then you get you switch back to Marilyn and it's almost like she's in like a halo, like she's like an angel almost. Like yes. she's almost like representing like pure like whatever pureness she has left and how, how opposite she was from her mom. I mean, 
and some of it was just really uncomfortable to watch like when she's giving a blowjob to the president and then like you're almost in her mind of like what she's thinking and like just her inner monologue during that time and almost she she would regard it as like playing a part because she didn't really want to do it um and then you get this view of like her blowing the president in front of a theater of a bunch of different people <laughs> Uh, yeah, like some of her drug scenes, like it was just, it was a lot to take in. Yeah, and and like and like we I mentioned at the top of the show, we're going to be probably discussing some heavy topics here. Um, so if there is a little bit of a, there's could be a little bit of trigger warning, but I feel like this movie is not to be, it was not meant to entertain. I feel like this movie was more meant to be observed, in in a way, if that makes sense. It's like. Because I did not feel comfortable at any part of this movie. No. Like I was, I was, I this was not a good watch for me. Uh, it was, at some scenes, very hard to watch. And I will say that given its NC NC seventeen rating, there were some scenes that you know we were about to witness a rape, and I thought they were going to go into detail, not not a detail, but I thought they were going to actually showcases. Luckily. For my viewing experience, they didn't, mm -hmm. and they kind of cut away from that. But I expected it because of the NC-17 rating for them to do so. So with with that rating, obviously there was a lot of nudity and drug use and other things that were happening throughout the movie. Um, but to me, it was the the blowjob scene with the president that really I was like, okay, now. And this that was toward the end of the movie too. I mean, you see Shaft, like you see as she's going down. Yeah. Like, you literally see, like, the shaft and a little bit of the head, and I was like, okay. I mean, she was topless, like, almost, like, like quite a bit during this movie. Yeah, and she was, and she was. And I, it's, it's, this is a very controversial film because, and I, and I kind of want to read the, the um, Rotten Tomato um, consensus, because at least for me anyway, I completely understand where they're coming from with this. And just by a Rotten Tomato standpoint, um, on Rotten Tomatoes, the critics give this a 43%, whereas mm. the audience gave it a 32%. So wow. definitely not liked at all. A lot of people did not like this movie. Uh, but the consensus, I feel like, is understandable. And it said, Ana de Armas' luminous, luminous performance makes up... And let me restart. Ana de Armas' luminous performance makes it difficult to look away. But Blonde can be hard to watch as it teeters between commenting on exploitation and contributing to it. Mm. And I feel like I can understand where they're coming from because there, like I said, there's one thing to comment on it, especially. And I feel like I saw that most when there, when she's doing that iconic air vent scene. Yeah. And it was one thing to comment on how like in the movie, they showcase like thousands of men just kind of gawking over her. Um, and like over that scene, because, you know, it was, well, I'm not sure if it was a scene from a movie or if it was just an, it's, it's an iconic Hollywood moment that we see all over the place with the vent going up her skirt and she's like putting it down, or dress, and she's putting the, the dress down um, and everything. Uh, but in the movie, they decided to focus on like her ass and they focused on her fronts. And it's like, I don't think we needed to zoom in on that. I think we got the idea with the group of men looking at her. I, I got the message there. We didn't need to go as far as zooming in on on what they were looking at, per se. Mm. And so I feel like that's where it comes to that, that line between commenting on it and explore and exploration on it. 
um, or contributing on it or kind of just like going a little bit too far to like get your a, message across. Being like exploitative. Yes, yeah, as opposed to just commenting on what this movie was trying to say where she, even though she was adored and she was famous, she did not live a happy life. No. And, and it, again, it's hard to take what, and I, I feel like knowing what this movie is before you watch it is a big part of it. A lot of people were mad about the movie was because like this never happened in, in real life. I'm like, yeah. yeah, but but you knew but you knew that going in. Yeah. You and that's knew, the difference. Like that yes. that's where I don't have an issue with this movie like conversely where I had an issue with Elvis. Like that's mm-hmm. listed as like almost to be true to like what actually happened and for the most part it is except for some other parts. Um whereas this is like more of speculation because of everything that would happen and all yeah. all the story, all the gossip that was written about her like where we don't there's a lot that we do know, but there's also a lot that we don't know. So, yeah. I mean, I can see it because, I mean, ultimately she dies in the end. Like, almost the death yeah. is the same. Like, it just, her life yes. was extremely tragic. At least this yes. fictionalized version of Marilyn Monroe was extremely tragic. And, and, and like, and like you said, I think this movie's highlighting a lot of her personal life that is all speculated. Like, I mean, it's kind of very similar to, how we treated, you know, not, well, I shouldn't say that, but it's kind of how we treat celebrities in a way. Like we, there's tabloids. We know that, you know, they have a private life. Hell, we were just talking about this last week with Don't Worry Darling and all the scandal behind the scenes of the movie and the relationship that Olivia Wilde was having with Harry Styles and all that stuff. We don't necessarily know all the details. These are all speculations that happened. So at the time, Marilyn, Marilyn Monroe was a hot discussion among fans they adored her they idolized her saw a lot of people sexualized her um but but she was all over the tabloids of having you know these relationships with uh charlie chaplin jr and edward g robinson jr um like that was on the tabloid so i feel like this movie is fictionalized because we're like well we think this is what might happen behind closed doors and this is what we're showcasing you. We might not know a lot about her childhood, but we and we think this is how her childhood was. And I feel like that's what a lot of the movie was. Like, we know that she was married to the athlete or the ex-athlete, which was played by... Um, Bobby Cannavale. Bonnie Cannavale. But we don't know exactly what happened behind closed doors. So here's that. The same with uh, Adrian Brody with the playwright. Again, we know that they got married, but we don't know exactly what happened. But I think at the very end, we do know that she presumably died over a drug overdose at a very young age of 36. Yeah, which was, I mean, that in itself is just like literally the movie ended and I go, I turned on my wife and I said, well, that was fucking tragic. Like that was Mm -hmm. just a sad fucking movie. It was just sad from start to finish. Like there was no... Hope there was like no happiness involved in her life at all. Even when she was no. on stage, her her thought was to separate herself, which I thought they showcased beautifully. Where like sometimes it takes her a, a minute to get um, for Norma Jean to turn in to Marilyn Monroe, where she's like standing in front of the mirror and she's crying, and then you get that 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 panning shot where she's smiling at the mirror and in the and in the preview, it's almost seen as a positive thing, but now seeing it in the movie, we're like, because if you look at her, like Norma Jean, like at least the the person who's there is not moving, and the mirror is moving, kind of showing like 
that Norma Jean is going to sit back and let Marilyn take over. And like, she's just going to watch this other person play this part in her life and destroy her and make her, you know, just this unhappy person that she grew up, grew up to be. Yeah. And it's, it is to me, that was when the, the movie started showing, or at least the growth of the character, at least that was portrayed in the movie. Um, of of Marilyn Monroe of Norman Norma Jean treating Marilyn Monroe as a character as as a a different version of herself and toward the later later parts of the movie she was using Marilyn as an escape as a way to hide her pain and like uh, people love me when I'm Marilyn so it's gonna take me a minute to be that character mm. and then I can be adored by all because that's what they want. And I'm just appeasing them, not really doing it for myself. But by doing that, it's also hiding the pain and not really, and kind of just forgetting about it. And then obviously that led to her turning to drugs to try to suppress all that pain she was having and maybe trying to stay as Marilyn Monroe as long as possible. It was very tragic to see that, especially when, you know, she... It, we're, we're kind of slowly seeing a descent into the mental illness that she did have and even more tragic when she had those, at least how, how the film portrayed it, those numerous abortions throughout her oh life. God, she was how de- yeah. fucking devastating that was. I think the worst one is obviously when the secret service came and took her and right. she thought it was a dream and like, Oh my God, that scene was so unnerving to watch because it's yes. in like it's in like that um I don't know it's not infrared but it's um night vision um and then so like you see her eyes like the night vision eyes and then like she's looking around and then you see that guy just literally standing there in her room oh my yeah how fucking horrifying and then she wakes up and just still thinks it's a dream and then she wakes up like nude completely nude covered in blood like that shit was yeah fucking and crazy to watch and and a lot of people had issues with that scene because they said well there was no evidence of of the president john f kennedy ever doing that to marilyn monroe so going down to the blowjob scene or her ever being pregnant or her having or the secret service coming in and you know forcing an abortion all that stuff and they a lot of people had issues with that because they're like that never happened and like there was never any evidence that that would have happened. The only evidence that was there um, was that they had an affair, although the exact nature of their relationship remains unclear. So I feel like in some ways I should say the story took liberties with that rumor or that that scandal that was going on that affair and kind of ran with it a little bit. And that was very unsettling to watch. I mean, the whole the whole president thing, like from start to finish, was very unsettling to watch and i'm not sure if it meant to be there but that being said this movie is being adapted by the book and so back in 2000 when the book was released a lot of people had issues with the book and so the movie is just adapting the book and the book that scene was in there so the movie was just doing what the book was doing so it's it's the frustration for me doesn't come with the movie for some the frustration should be re- going to the book because that's what it was there. That that you you so a lot of your frustration you have a problem with the story of the original novel, not the movie itself because the movie is just adapting the novel. Yeah, very, I mean very true. So like it's it's not I mean sure the movie could have strayed away from it and done something else, but 
at this point from what I'm reading, it's almost a true adaptation of what the novel was, this movie. Mm. And so that to me, that's where like the NC 17 rating really comes in was everything with the president. And that, that to me, that's when I started feeling, I was already feeling uncomfortable watching this movie, but that's when it really got to me. I was like, Ooh, this is, this is a lot. This is a lot going into this. And I, and I did, it took me, it, I did this all in one sitting. So it was just from start to finish. It's just like a very morbid way of looking at it, like her, of her life. And another scene that really got to me is when she was, uh, uh, she was going to a movie premiere and everyone gave her a standing ovation for her, um, uh, for her performance. And I think she was like, again, as the role of Marilyn and everyone's loving her. And then as in the midst of all the applause, she goes, for this, you killed your baby. And I was like, oh, my God. And it's <laughs> like she she's like blaming Marilyn, a, a different version of herself for the abortion that she went through so she can continue to be famous almost and have the, the people love her and not be like she, at that point she can focus on her career. Whereas Norma Jean side of her wanted to be a mother and wanted to have ch- kids, but it almost felt like Marilyn Monroe and other forces at B would not allow her to be a mother because she's so iconic um, as Marilyn Monroe. And it's just a very sad, just a very sad movie. That was, it was very hard to watch. It was very hard to watch. I mean, in, in leading up to the finale after Charlie Chaplin Jr. dies and he sends her like one final letter. And, you know, throughout the movie, we've been getting the letters from for what we perceive as to be her daughter. And then his mm-hmm. final message to her is that the letters were always a lie. So like this one glimmer of hope that she had yeah. throughout her entire life literally was just told to her was not that. And I like you could see why that sent her over the edge and what right. why that drove her. When I saw that, I was like, damn. That would yeah. make me want to kill myself too. Like that's some pretty dark shit. To do somebody dark. for so many years, that's a fucking cruel joke. <laughs> and and what's interesting about that is that um, it says in the one scene, Marilyn Monroe receives a phone call from Edward G. Robinson Jr. informing her that Charles Chaplin Jr. has died. In real life, his death happened six years after Marilyn's. So. Why, in my head, when you're writing this fictional story, why include that when his death was six years after Marilyn Monroe's death? That just seemed odd when I learned that, to put that in the story. Um, it makes that story that we watched obviously more tragic, but that's a that's a huge leap forward. Like, you're not even going off of rumors. Like, obviously, that, that. that you know what I mean? It's like, there's one thing of, like, we're going to show you what happened behind the scenes based off of rumors we heard. But it's another thing to just completely say, oh, yeah, no, this person died. But did she when actually re- receive any letters from her father that like is that part is that part of the story true? Like, did she actually right. receive letters from somebody who she perceived as her father? Absolutely. Right. We don't. It's unclear if she ever received notes from her father. or She ever had a relationship with her father. Um Within there, uh, within all that, it said, you know, with, I'm looking up some facts about the movie. They said there was no evidence that Marilyn Monroe ever had a three-way relationship with Charles Chaplin Jr. and Edward G. Robinson Jr., nor that uh, either of them got her pregnant, as it was shown in the movie. There was no evidence that Charlie, that Chaplin Jr. was writing letters to her to Monroe, pretending to be her father either. The three-way in the movie was taken from. Uh, the 2001 fictional novel so again 
they were just adapting the novel, not really going as far as trying to make facts and fiction there. Um, so I'd be excited. I'd not see now watching this. I'm intrigued to know like the true story of well, what they know and what they don't know. You know, mm-hmm. and there, I'm sure there are a lot of either movies, TV shows, documentaries that kind of focuses on her life. And, and, and I think if anything, there's one thing that this movie does hold true is that she did not have a happy one. Yeah. Like, I, and, it's, I, and it's weird because like people perceive her as like this, as such an iconic actress and, doing so many things for film and cinema and how many people loved her. But then on the flip side, like how much she was actually hurting on the inside. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Aside from the story angle of it, um, what do you think about pretty much the main draw for me to go watch this movie was watching Ana de Armas' performance as Marilyn Monroe. What were your thoughts on her performance? I mean, she was the main thing that was keeping me going throughout the whole two hours and 47 minutes because she was, she was like, so good that I forgot that she was acting. Like I forgot mm-hmm. that I was watching a movie. Like I felt like I was really watching like someone portray, like what I perceive Marilyn Monroe to be. Like mm-hmm. I, like I felt like I was watching a real person. Like that's how good her acting is. Um, I totally see, like I, I, I want to see some noms for obviously her acting, uh, maybe production design and um, cinematography. Yeah, and I feel like those those three are very. I think it's. I think if anything, she's a shoe in for for a nomination for her performance as Marilyn Monroe. I that's. I feel like there's no question there. I'd be surprised if she isn't because people were talking about this movie long before it was released about her performance, and apparently she received like a a, a long 14 minute long standing ovation at the Venice Film Festival when they premiered the movie of her for her performance. Um, but her performance alone just brings so much sadness and pain and sorrow and, and loneliness and, uh, longingness for something better. Like she always held out hope that if she did this, things would be a little bit better for her. And it's just, it it never lets up. There's not really in my, and in my head and me watching this movie, there was never a glimmer of hope that she was going to have a happy life at the end. The only thing that was kind of close is when she had her second husband and, you know, was living that that life, you know, in the in, in the hills or something. And it seemed like she could have had a happy life there and be a mother there. But, um, yeah, obviously that didn't happen. And then she was even in the movie, she was saying, I don't want to go back to Hollywood. It's it's toxic. I don't want to be Marilyn anymore. And after she had, you know, that relationship with her second husband and again, the movie perceived that she was pregnant with a second child and then that, and she lost that child that sent her spiraling into going back into Marilyn Monroe and going back to Hollywood so she can hide her pain and be loved by all again. Um, yeah. And like, I think Ana de Armas did a fantastic job showcasing that emotion through and through and especially, and especially her transformation that she was going back and forth between Norma and Marilyn that was very strong as well. So it, it's a captivating performance, but it's just under the layer of a very hard thing to watch on screen as all the events are unfolding and that happened presumably in her life. Mm. Um, yeah. So I, I, I think that we're going to be definitely talking about her performance and comparing it to others. Once we get closer to award season, because it'll be very strange if they don't even consider it. And the fact that, 
they were already talking about it before the film's release um is is that um i there was a couple of like uh, some facts that i saw pertaining to behind the scenes of the movie um, it said to, according to Andrew Dominic, the script contains little dialogue as he describes the film as being an avant-garde images of an, an events. Would you agree to that? Yeah. Cause it kind of, there were certain points where I felt like they weren't connected. Like when she left Arthur Miller and her spiral to go back into her last movie, I felt like we just kind of went there. Like we didn't get any yeah. connecting that that was going to happen. It's just, all right, here's the next thing. Cause it, it was almost like, where the hell did he go? Like, yeah. Did they like Bobby the whole Bobby Cannavale thing with her and the, the the her and her other husband, like he beat the shit out of her. It was almost inferred like, okay, well obviously she left him after Right, they had a divorce, yeah. Yeah, they had a divorce obviously after, you know, he beat the shit out of her after mm-hmm. that after that scene. Whereas we didn't really get that after she lost the second baby and her spiral to go into the film before she died. Right, so yeah, I, right. I could agree with that. It does, it does, it did very much feel like that. Yeah, and, and obviously it did like jump from scene to scene, like event in her life to the another event in her life, and we were trying to put the pieces together once we got to the next event in her life. Yeah. Um, the Netflix had asked the director to tone down the sexual content, regardless. The movie received an NC-17 rating for it. When asked about the NC-17 rating of the film, director Andrew Dominic was surprised when the rating was announced because he thought we colored with inside the lines. Um, Anna de Armas also was shocked when she learned about the NC-17 rating. And she said, I can point out more movies and TV shows that have more sexual content than this movie. True. I mean, she's not wrong there, but I, I still see the warrant of an NC-17 rating on it. I don't, I think they would have to tone down the movie just a little bit to receive the R but I definitely saw the NC-17 rating when it came to everything that dealt with the president. I think it's the blowjob scene. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the yeah, 100%. I, yeah. I mean, it literally pretty much looks like you, she's going down, like almost like a porno, like going down, mm-hmm. going down on the president. Like, yeah, it that there's no, it's, they don't really, they don't really hide it. From what no, it looks they like. don't. And so I feel like I'm as opposed to they said they were shocked. I can see why the rating was there. Like for, you know, for all things considered, um, besides, and this is another, uh, some other facts about Ana de Armas playing, um, Marilyn Monroe. She says, besides the blonde wig, Ana de Armas also wore blue contact lenses and dental prosthetics, um, in the film to look more like Marilyn. Um, and this one I also find interesting, uh, Ana de Armas is a Cuban actress um, and said in interviews that she spent nine months trying to perfect the voice and the American accent of uh, Marilyn Monroe. So I find that very interesting that, you know, because in other movies, she does have a thick accent. Yeah. And I think she did a pretty good job, you know, practicing her American accent for that long to to have a voice that sounds very similar to Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, I agree. I don't really have any issues with with that. Um Following the the, it, the following the debut screening at the Venice Film Festival, the movie received a long-standing ovation, which I mentioned earlier. Sources say it was about 14 minutes. Um, a moment described by Variety magazine that caused lead actress Ana de Armas to break down in tears. However, following its Venice premiere and Netflix release, the film received mostly mixed and negative reviews from the critics, which we've already talked about as well. So, like, it's interesting to see the many different reactions that this movie is getting and i feel like 
for lack of a better term, all of those reactions are valid. I can understand why people don't like this movie. I can understand why people will be offended by the movie. I can understand why people enjoy the movie. Or I wouldn't say enjoy, but understand and appreciate the movie for what it is. I feel like with all of that, like you need to have a well-rounded understanding of what this movie is in order to have, like in my head, to have like a full-fledged opinion on it because I can understand people being offended, but you have to understand what the movie's trying to tell you. Yeah. And, and I understand that, and I also get that they are, um, they, yeah, it's just, the, the, the movie's trying to perceive something, and I, again, people, I understand people being offended by it, but also, this is a purposefully thing that movie, the movie's trying to do, as well as, I can also understand, when I talked about this earlier, the exploitation over contributing and commenting on it. Like, I can see the the argument there as well, where some scenes, yes, you're commenting on it, and some scenes, uh, you're kind of contributing to the problem of what the movie is trying to comment on, you know? Uh, but I, I, think, I think they did it in a way that made it seem like... For me, I see what you're saying, but I, to mm-hmm. me, it was more on of, like, shining a light on it, like like really showcasing like how much of a problem it is i mean yeah what we watched her get like raped by an old man producer which was mm-hmm. gross in itself <laughs> mm-hmm. and and they and again by getting the message across i i understood i think that the movie did a really good job of getting us in the mindset of marilyn monroe and what she might have been feeling at certain points of her life yeah. as well as showcasing her descent into what ultimately was her mental illness and her death um, and the trouble she was going through in her mind. Um, even though the, the events of the movie might all might not all be true. What we can understand that she was having a rough life and the movie did a good job of showcasing the mental state that she was in, in those key moments that we are all familiar with. Oh, I think the movie did its job. Like I, uh, yeah, like, uh, I, this it was uh, it was a rough watch. I don't think I would. I don't think I'll ever watch it again. No, no. I wouldn't. I would that's, not watch it again. That's definitely a one and done. Yeah, I like I again like for the sake of this review, you know, there's a lot of uh, uh, research that that we put into it so we can understand the movie. But after this, like a lot of people are just going to be talking about her performance, and that's what the main talk is going to be. Maybe yeah. some other. Um, accolades might be given to like you said cinematography or production design but like we i don't need to experience that again yeah I'm uh good. I, i'm good yeah i wouldn't say that i necessarily was i mean I, it's hard to say enjoy because i don't think you're supposed to enjoy this movie no um and it's hard to say like because i don't think you're supposed to like this movie either per se but it's the difference between like liking a movie and understanding what the movie was trying to say. And so on a cinematic and a cinema standpoint, I can appreciate the message and understand the message, but not necessarily enjoy the context and, and as well as the movie. If you know, if that makes sense. Yeah. That, and I think the movie was just a little on the longer side. Than it oh yeah. To be. Absolutely. I think it's because of how heavy it was. It would have done better. You could have easily cut out maybe like 20 minutes of the movie and it would have been just as impactful. You, you, you make a good point. Like the long run time with the heavy material does not help with with the no, movie either. Doesn't help. Um, Andrew uh, Dominic, the director, told during Blonde's a press conference at the 79th uh, Venice Film Festival that this initial scenes of the movies were shot in the same apartment where Marilyn Monroe lived, 
with her mental ill mother. So they went back to the original apartment of that and filmed those scenes, which is wow. crazy. Um, he also said that Mar- Mar- he also said that Monroe's death scene was shot in the same room where she died in real life. Well, that's fucking creepy. Yes, <laughs> that's fucking scary. They oh, said that's that, weird. They said the production of the film even began on the anniversary of Monroe's death, which was August fourth, twenty nineteen. She had passed away August fourth um, in nineteen sixty two. So we are now approaching the. 60 years ago that she had passed away if i did that math correctly wow um which is insane i think i think that's 60 years right did that, yeah. did that math check out <laughs> yeah 62 uh, to 22 yeah seven eight nine zero one yeah yeah six years yeah, yeah. 60 60 years um <laughs> uh what else i have here um the project was originally announced in 2010 um, Naomi Watts and Jessica Chastain were both attached to star as Marilyn Monroe at different times, but both ended up dropping out. I find that would have been very interesting to see another actress play, uh, that Marilyn Monroe, specifically Naomi Watts and, or Jessica Chastain. Jessica Chastain, I think would have done it in probably a com- comparably well. I, I feel like Ana de Armas has like acting wise. I mean, she did phenomenal and I do feel like. Maybe not Naomi Watts, but definitely I agree with you. Jessica Chastain can probably live up to those acting chops. Um, but I think Ana de Armas has more of the look than Jessica Chastain does. That's just in my opinion. Um, so I think Ana de Armas was a better choice in that regard. Um, in one scene, I already talked about that. And yeah, that was it. That's all I have. Um, but yeah. Um, final thoughts, Ernesto. Um, I thought the cinematography was beautiful. Uh, the Armas was absolutely phenomenal. Um, I'd be very surprised if I don't see any any mention at the Oscars next year. I mean, maybe at the Golden Globes, but who's going to watch the Golden Globes? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, it was it was just long. It was really really hard to watch. There were I mean a lot of scenes. The, the other scene that was really hard for me to watch was the her mom drowning her in the tub. Obviously, I knew yeah. she was going to live from that. But just to mm-hmm. imagine being that like being so mentally ill that you would you would watch your kid drown to death or vice mm-hmm. versa, like being drowned by your the person who you the only person in the world who's supposed to be taking care of you because you don't even know your father. Like, like, can you imagine what the mindset of that little girl was like? It's. Mm-hmm. That that's crazy to think about, and that, that and that theme kind of carries throughout the whole film, where you're kind of in the mind of Marilyn Monroe. So I think it achieved its purpose. So for that, like it, when I say that it's good, I say that it was it it gave the impact that it intended to give the audience. Like it did mm-hmm. it did its job. It wasn't yeah it wasn't lackluster. Like it was like and I think what helped was making the having the cinematography be so specific in the film like mm-hmm. like having that closed aspect ratio like the the changing from black and white like the movie found ways to keep you interested throughout the throughout this long runtime yeah um and as far as my final thoughts are concerned it's very similar to to your opinion uh to your to your final thoughts is that it was a hard movie to watch it's not a movie I want to go back to at all. I mean, I've seen it once. I understood the message and I got the message. And I think that's the big thing. It's like fact or fiction. 
what the movie was trying to imply was the inner thoughts of Marilyn Monroe and what she was feeling at those times of the events, whether they were real or not. I understood that. I, that message was clear and I think it was beautifully done by Honor de Armas and, and her performance. And it's, it's a standout for sure. It's hard to like, obviously comparing it to, you know, best actor nominees that we're talking about, you know, two weeks ago, we talked about Elvis. And so to, for the two front runners of Oscar potentials are being somewhat of like um, portrayals of iconic Hollywood and uh, music icons. Um, it it kind of makes sense because we have something to compare it to um, yeah. that they're, you know, they're being high looked at and, and Austin Butler did an amazing job as Elvis and he probably did a lot of time and work to get there. And the same for Ana de Armas with Marilyn Monroe like the work and the passion it shows like that yes. you spent a lot of time creating that um, and perfecting what you, you feel like the character should be and feel at these times. And her performance was just amazing. Um, very captivating. And like you said earlier, it's some, you forget when you, when you forget that this is an actress portraying a role, they've done their job of making it very believable that there, you know, that she was actually Mary Monroe. Um, but aside from that, the story, yeah, I can see, I can understand why it's, it's controversial. Um, but having a more understanding of what this movie was trying to tell kind of eases the blow a little bit on some of the things that you may or may not be offended on or don't agree with or, you know, stuff like that. Um, but overall the big standout for me was her performance and there's a lot to take away from her performance. And we're going to be talking about her performance a lot more um come uh, hopefully anyway come Oscar season because just to compare other other movies and other actresses and stuff like that and if it is there for cinematography and production design which i do feel like they're very high contenders for that um could also play into factor when it comes to award season but anyway that's our spoiler review on blonde available on netflix uh to stream right now um yeah hard one to watch I, yeah. I i i we need a need a cl- uh, palate cleanser after that one for sure i need <laughs> A little bit more of a like a had had to watch something else like I haven't I, I haven't watched anything since then I gotta like I gotta we gotta watch like a lighter note <laughs> where's where's that where's that Kevin Hart comedy that I watched earlier <laughs> just use I don't that wanna, to rinse out <laughs> yeah well like five minutes and I was like okay we're good <laughs> right. I don't want to watch this anyway <laughs> no, no no we're good we're good um, but anyway that's all the show we have for you guys this week um, Ernesto tell our lovely listeners. What we are going to review next week. So, we're trying again, guys. Once <laughs> again, we are going to try to go back to the theaters to watch The Woman King. I think this is this is the one. I feel like this, this is, is the one. It should, it, you know, it should happen this week. Uh, so, that being said, next week's review will be Viola Davis's movie, The Woman King, which is supposed to be based off this tribe, which I feel, once again, we're going to get... I kind of mentioned it last week where, you know... Things were changed, but I think this is supposed to be more of a truer depiction of the in the tribe and how they were during this time. Mm-hmm. So, and, and this movie's highly rated. I think for both audience and critics, it sits in the 90s. So a lot of people are enjoying this movie, um, and I, it's a movie that I've been looking forward to see for a while now, and we keep pushing it back under unseen circumstances. So, you know, Ernesto, third time's the charm. That's yep. 
we're going to get it this time around. And I look forward to having that conversation with you uh, next week on the movie. Um, if you want more from us, you can find us on our social media channels on Instagram at box office underscore bingers, um, where we give you movie show on Mondays, the new to stream Fridays, as well as our latest movie and TV reviews and all the latest and breaking news. You can also find that on our Facebook and TikTok page at box office bingers. Um, I'd like to thank each you guys each and every week for coming out and listening to us just talk about movies. Really do appreciate it. Come back next week for more movie fun. And for that, I've been your host, Matt Diaz. Ben Ernesto Santos. See ya.